At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Welcome to Love You Las Vegas for Jessica Seeps with myself, Greg Eves Peters, and now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. We've got a great podcast for you guys. In segment number two, we're going to be joined by one of our good friends, Curtis Rogers, who does amazing work over at 710 Seattle Sports. We're going to be talking with him about some of the tournaments out west that we're going to be seeing. We're going to be talking a little bit about the WAC tournament. We're going to be talking about the Big Sky tournament. We're going to be taking a look at these big games for Thursday that are coming up in the Pac-12 as well. So we're going to be touching all the bases with good old Curtis Rogers. He does amazing work over at 710 Seattle Sports, gauging all things West Coast College basketball and does a great job taking a look at the national landscape as well. In the final segment, going to give you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this College Basketball Thursday as we hit some bank shots. If you've got a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways to fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at gnet underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters DM. Maybe it does not matter as per usual. Please do send these into the timeline and the other ways via an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated from there. You are able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Really did not get in any Twitter questions today, but we've been having a very interesting time in college basketball the last few days. So let's recap everything that we saw on very late Tuesday into Wednesday as we try to find out a little bit more about these teams along the way. A games from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. It appears as though Virginia Tech is getting right. They were able to take down Louisville by kind of 71 to 54, honestly. That's about as much mention as Louisville deserves to get on this podcast with the season that they've been having and having to take a look at more rambunctious teams, to say the least, out in the Mountain West. We've got to give some credit where credit is due. San Jose State, another win, another cover. They were able to get the job done against the Colorado State team. It's been a relative fade this year. They're now 11-18 and 18 against the spread, but 63-46 to 46 the final. San Jose State now, by the way, 19-10 and 10 against the spread as they've been able to do an amazing job down low. San Jose State won the rebound battle 38-32. They went 11-29 from three-point range with getting 16 points in this one out of Alvaro Cardenas. So, he was able to do a tremendous job on that front. Texas A&M was able to get the win and cover done against Ole Miss 69-61. And Michigan State, an uncharacteristic 80 spot from them. They were able to take down Nebraska 80-67. So, just a little bit of cleanup on Tuesday. On Wednesday, well, we saw some biggies murders happen. I mean, my goodness. You saw a whole bunch of dump truckings in these games as Xavier, they played the closest game. They take down Providence, a Providence team that has been very good at home 
all season long, 94 to 89. No shortage of scoring in this one. You had these two teams combined to go 21 of 42 from three parts. They both shot 50% from three, but the guy that was really able to make a sonic boom, Sule Boom. 33 points and 7 rebounds. And then how about Kobe Jones? 29 points. These two guys took over the game as for Providence. All five of their starters were able to score at least 14 points. Ed Crosswell did a solid job with 17 points, 13 rebounds as Providence actually won the rebound battle 38-37 to and they actually won the turnover battle as well. But for Xavier, they shot 55.5% from the floor. They were absolutely magnificent. And then you saw UConn just completely take it out on DePaul. 88 to 59, the finalists. This was a game that, I mean, it was over before it started. UConn was up 27 to 2 after about eight and a half minutes. Nick Ogenda, 17 points. He did all he could for DePaul, but Adama Sinogo, he made things a go go. 26 points in this one as for UConn. They go 10 to 23 from three point range. They win the turnover battle. They win the rebound battle by 11. And as I am doing this podcast, Georgetown is down. 62 to 29 against Creighton. It's not looking good for our good old Georgetown Oyas. So, not too tremendous on this front as I decided I was not going to bet Georgetown in the second half in this one because, well, it's just such a bad night that it's not even funny for them. DK Nation pick because I do have to record this a little bit earlier. I need to have this up for midnight Pacific time as a great Peterson experience. That is from 9 to midnight Pacific time. So also when it comes to the OVC tournament, I do need to do a little bit of projecting in advance for one or two of those matchups. But currently Northwestern up on Penn State by kind of 28 to 24. If Northwestern plays the way that they did in the first half, they should be able to win and cover this game and get us to the window as Northwestern took 10 more field goal attempts than Penn State won the turnover battle by kind of 9 to 2. So I did like what I saw in the first half there, but we shall see on that front. Alabama, they stave off Auburn 90 to 85. You had Alabama get the job done in overtime. Alabama, prior to their previous game against Arkansas, not allowed north of 70 points in a single conference game all season long. They've now done so in back-to-back games, as they've actually done so in each of the last three, but the first one against South Carolina, that was a game in which, in regulation, they had given up fewer than 70 points, but for Auburn, Aaron Characteristic, 12 of 20 from three-par range. That's an outlier right there, ladies and gentlemen, as you did have 70 points, eight rebounds out of Allen Flanagan. He was really able to help out. Brandon Miller, 17 points, eight boards, relatively bad game for him, as he had six turnovers, but Alabama won the turnover battle 18 to 14 and where they were able to persevere they got to the free throw line going 24 of 31 at the charity stripe while Auburn went 15 of 24 so big time difference maker in this one anyone who had high point much like myself high point was winning and covering for about 37 minutes in this one before Charleston Southern pulls it out 72 to 70 a technical foul on high point before they went into the locker room was not necessarily so great so Charleston Southern they survived advance at Bojangles Arena you had Vanderbilt pull off the road stunner against Kentucky 68 to 66 the final how about this with Liam Robbins playing just four minutes in this game. He goes out early. He had just two points, and the other guys picked up the slack as 
He had an 8 of 12 performance off the bench from Jordan Wright for Kentucky. Oscar Shibwe did his part. 21 points, 20 rebounds, and Jacob Toppin was able to chip in their 10 rebounds as well as Kentucky won the rebound battle 48 to 35, but Kentucky went just 3 of 19 from 3, shot 32% from floor. Just a big giant thud out there. If you're looking at the NEC tournament, you had all the home teams be able to advance. Fairly Dickinson wins and covers against St. Francis of Brooklyn by a count of 83 to 75. Merrimack they win 91 to 76 over Long Island. Spread got up to 18 and a half, so no cover there. St. Francis, Pennsylvania. They win and cover against Central Connecticut, 83 to 69, and then Sacred all over Wagner by kind of 67 to 55. As that spread was one and a half, they were able to cover as well. Tulsa. They continue to be the biggest fade in all of college basketball, and it's just remarkable what they are doing at this point for Tulsa. They lose by a count of 72 to 56. They fall to 423 and 2 against the spread. Just a big, giant, frowny face of a team at this point. And it looked like they were going to be able to get a cover. They were down seven points with seven minutes remaining, and then they toilet bowled as Keyshawn Bryant off the bench, 30 points to be able to rescue South Florida betters and be able to get them to the window. He saw Duquesne get a lot of steam in the AM. They went from being about a 10-point favorite to more like a 12-point favorite before things evened out at 11, 88 to 79. They win. They don't cover against UMass. This was a game that was very rambunctious. Went to overtime. George Mason was able to get it done by a count of 64 to 58. Fordham was trailing all throughout. They were able to make a bonsai charge to get it to overtime, but Fordham loses this game while going 3 of 25 from 3 and a very rare circumstance where you have a game go to overtime and it still goes well under the total. Notre Dame has been a pretty big fade all season long, by the way. They win and cover against Pittsburgh, 88-81. to Pittsburgh finally gets into the top 25, and they played like a team that finally got their respect and decided, you know what, we don't need to work anymore as Notre Dame. They go 10 of 27 from three-point. They shoot north of 49% from the floor, and they just kept getting to the free throw line. 26 of 31 is what Notre Dame won at the charity stripe. Meanwhile, for Pittsburgh, you did have Blake Hinson give you 15 points, 13 rebounds, but pretty unsightly loss for Pittsburgh in that one. And then as I'm doing this podcast, this game just went final. Kansas State win and cover over Oklahoma, 85-69. to Oklahoma goes 8-20 of from three-point range, but Kansas State goes 9-19 to from three. Nikwe Tomlin was able to supply 19 points. Marquise Noel, a double-double on senior night. So a big performance out of them. And they did this with having Keontae Johnson chip in their 16 points as well. And then Utah Valley who has been a very solid team against the spread all season long. They went and cover against the Mavericks of UT Arlington by kind of 78 to 59. We'll talk a little bit more in segment number two with Curtis Rogers about the WAC tournament. That's one that I'm very intrigued by, but Utah Valley 18 and eight now against the spread. As I do this podcast, by the way, Utah Tech, they're up 56 to 30 with the start of the second half, just getting going against Seattle. So that is one that is rather harebrained. Gonzaga is currently up on Chicago State, 42 to 28 at the half. TCU leads by 12 at the half against Texas. And then this game went to overtime and it does look like Sam Houston State is going to pull it off 61 to 59. So that's another game that's going to go to overtime and stay under the total. And it's been a big giant rarity in college basketball because we have been noticing just a whole bunch of overs hitting across the board. As a matter of fact, you take a look at the last seven days in college basketball. We'll give you the last 30 days in a second, but last seven days in college basketball, over eight just continues to be staying high. 196 overs to 158 unders, 55.4% of games going over, and home underdogs have been getting slaughtered. 
56, 70, and 4 against the spread or home underdogs in the last seven days. That's a 44.4% hit rate. If you take a look at the last 30 days in college basketball, home underdogs, 242, 238, and 11 against the spread. So that's right around 15.5%. But overs hitting at 54.8%, 770 overs to 637 unders in that time span. And if you look at the entirety of the college basketball season, the over rate is up to 52.1%, 2,646 overs, 2,000. 436 unders with home underdogs overall for the season. Now at 780, 724, and 32 against the spread, that is 51.9%. So that's what we're noticing in college basketball right now, and that's what we all got on Wednesday. Now let's chat with our good friend Curtis Rogers. He does great work over at 710 Seattle Sports, really gauging a little bit of everything Seattle, whether it be the Seattle Kraken, the Seattle Seahawks, what have you, but is also a wealth of knowledge when it comes to college basketball. We're going to be talking with them about some of these mid-major college tournaments, taking a look at the Pac-12 as well with them next right here on Coast Coast Soups with myself, Greg Eves-Peterson, now a part of the Eves Family Podcast. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Are you ready to become a winning sports better? Schedule a call with SBIA to find out how their service can make you a long-term winning player. They've developed an innovative algorithm that maximizes units return, and they are so confident in their system that they offer a money-back guarantee. Sign up by October 31st and get their NBA package at no cost until they reach 10 net units. They treat sports betting like a business. So if you want to learn how to make your sports betting dreams a reality, visit them at SBIA1.com and check them out on social media at SBIA Sports. Right here, lovely Las Vegas, because guess with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. It is great to be joined by our guest as we've got on Curtis Rogers. He does absolutely tremendous work out in the great city of Seattle. 
taking a look at a little bit of everything for 710 Seattle Sports. I know that baseball season is just around the corner. He is a pre- and post-game show host for them. On top of that, he does amazing work taking a look at college basketball, taking a look at the NFL. list goes on and on. The Seattle Kraken have had a nice season as well. I know that Curtis has been doing a great job there. He does many podcasts and shows over there at 710 Seattle Sports. And you're able to follow him on Twitter at a kid from Kent. All together on Twitter and Instagram. And Curtis, always great to have you aboard. Thank you. Greg, always, always appreciate coming on with you. Yeah, it is a very busy time up here in the Northwest and uh, wouldn't have it any other way. That means there's no shortage of things to talk about. And uh, college basketball season is reaching its apex. This is one of my favorite times on the calendar. I know it's one of your favorite times on the calendar. I mean, conference tournament time is we're just about a weekend away from most conferences getting into it, at least the big the big conferences getting into it. This is where a lot of jockeying for position in terms of seeding can take place. So I'm really excited for a lot of these conferences in the final weekend of their regular season, also some of the conferences that have gotten their tournaments underway. Absolutely. And those smaller conference tournaments, they are coming to the forefront right now. And I know a conference that you do a lot of coverage with is the Big Sky. They just wrapped up their regular season. And I've neglected to ask you about this team because we always dive into the Pac-12. We always dive into Gonzaga, which we are doing this before we know how Gonzaga did against Chicago State. But I still find it hilarious that we're getting a Gonzaga versus Chicago State game on March 1st. That's just something I never thought that we would get. But anywho, Eastern Washington. They were riding the longest win streak in all of college basketball just a few days ago. They do enter into their conference tournament, losers of two straight games. But what have we made out of Eastern Washington? And do you think that they have a chance to win the Big Sky Tournament? Because I know that the team that they lost to, Montana State, they've been able to ascend. And I do think that this is going to be a very fascinating conference tournament. I think so as well. And I think it's going to come down to Eastern and Montana State. Those two teams met with Montana State getting the victory over the Eagles and sent Eastern to their second consecutive loss after 17 straight going into that game. I think Eastern still has what it takes to win the Big Sky Conference. I think this will be a one-bid league despite Montana State having been very competitive in the Big Sky this season, winning you know 15 of 18 conference games. Uh, I think it's going to come down to one of those two teams. I think Eastern, though, has just been playing better throughout the course of the entire season. I think they have got something really good going on there. Uh, Steel Venters, one of the great names in college basketball this season. (laughs) Not just a great name, but also a great player for this Eastern Washington team. I think he's going to be a big reason as to why uh, they advance in the big sky. Really kind of takes over here at the end of the season and helps this team get to the big dance. Of course, you got Angelo Allegri. He's going to be a really big presence, too, on this team. Uh, I just think this Eastern Washington team, even after all the changes that have gone on in this program over the last couple seasons, losing, you know, Shantae Leggins to Portland, losing the Groves brothers to Oklahoma, they've still been able to kind of maintain and still be a really solid program, and we're seeing it this year. David Riley is going to be a name, I think, that comes up in some you know coaching carousel rumors here over the next few weeks, especially after the NCAA tournament, because Eastern has not just been able to maintain what they had under Leggins and the Groves brothers, but kind of build upon that. And that's been a big reason why is David Riley's presence uh, leading that program right now. But I think Eastern in the big sky has been the best team throughout the course of the season. I think they are able to shake off 
that loss to Montana State. And I think they are going to get back on the winning side of things here uh, during the Big Sky Tournament and come away with the Big Sky Conference Championship. I do think that that's going to be one of the most interesting conference tournaments you take a look at because with Montana State and Eastern Washington, I think that both of those teams are relatively feisty. Eastern Washington, a little bit more of an offense-oriented team. If you like a little bit more of a defense-oriented team, Montana State is a little bit more of your fancy there. As joining me on the podcast, we do have Curtis Rogers, who does great work over at 710 Seattle Sports. And Curtis, with regards to some of these lower-slash-mid-major conference tournaments, is there one or two that you're really going to be keeping your eye on? Because no doubt the Big Sky Tournament is interesting, but I know that you're also out there in WAC country, and I take a look at what we're getting in that conference, and we still have a few games in the regular season to be played, but I think whoever comes out of that conference, as long as you get one of your top, we'll call it three or four teams, that's a team that is going to be able to make a run in March. Someone like a Sam Houston State, someone like a Utah Valley. Those are teams that I think are very feisty, and as long as you get one of those top teams from the WAC to be able to come out of that conference tournament, I think that you've got yourself a possible Cinderella coming out of the West. It's a very competitive conference for sure. You look at the top five teams in that conference, only what, three games separate them? Utah Valley, Sam Houston, Southern Utah, Stephen F. Austin, Seattle U. All five of those teams you could really make a case for. Seattle U got off to a tremendous start in whack play, but has really hit the skids here in the second half of conference play. I believe they got off to a 7-0 and start in WAC conference play. So ever since then, uh, it's been kind of tough sledding for them. But yeah, Utah Valley, I mean, they just kind of stand out to me. Obviously, winning the regular season title in the WAC, they've been kind of waiting for their moment, especially with New Mexico State moving on uh, out of the WAC. And, and you look at just this conference right now, needing a, a program to kind of step up and Maybe Utah Valley is that one. They've had a lot of talented players come through their program over the last few years. I look at them right now as a team that I think not only can win this tournament, uh, win this conference tournament, I should say, but also maybe make some noise in the NCAA tournament. I will, though, give a shout-out to Chris Victor, uh, head coach of Seattle U, being able to turn that program around, losing Jim Hayford just a couple weeks prior to last season, had them on the doorstep of the NCAA tournament last year, couldn't break through this year. They got off to such a hot start, but uh, right now really scuffling in WAC conference play. But who knows how this uh, tournament's going to go out there. It, it looks to be one of the most unpredictable for sure, especially because you could make a case for, I would say, about five or six teams, maybe a lump Grand Canyon in there as well with those other five teams. But I think Utah Valley is going to be the team that comes out on top in the WAC right now. Yeah, it's been incredible to take a look at them. I do think that Sam Houston State is very pesky as well. They're my personal pick, just with them being able to go darn near 11 deep and having Qua Grant lead that team. That is going to be such a fun one as well. But there's a lot of fun to be had out west as well with regards to more of the power conference teams. And out in the Pac-12, we're going to be seeing some very interesting matchups on Thursday. And I do take a look at this USC versus Arizona game and I think that it's going to be a nice battle of bigs. Vincent Iwachuku is back in the fold for USC, which is very nice to see. He collapsed in non-conference. He collapsed in off-season workouts during the off-season to be able to get him back out there for USC. That's a very good story. But I take a look at this entire matchup, and right now, as I'm seeing it, Arizona in a lot of places is about a one-point favorite. So they're saying that this is essentially a toss-up game, and 
it's hard for me to disagree because I do think that both of these teams are relatively evenly matched. I do think Arizona is a little bit more in the end to be able to get it done, but how do you view this matchup? Because it's really two of the top three teams out there in the Pac-12 with obviously UCLA being the other. Absolutely. And one thing to watch also in this matchup, Umar Balo missed practice on Tuesday. Tommy Lloyd said that it wasn't something of grave concern, so I, I would expect Balo to play on Thursday. It remains to be seen how effective he will be in that game against USC, but USC needs it in the worst way possible because UCLA and Arizona are the only stone-cold locks, I think, in the Pac-12. I think ASU did themselves a tremendous amount of favors with that miracle shot Devin Cambridge had on Saturday against Arizona. Uh, a great road win for them, one that will impress the committee for sure come Selection Sunday, which I think puts ASU in the tournament field for now. I look at those four teams, the Arizona schools and the L.A. schools right now. That is your best opportunity, the Pac-12, the Pac-12's best opportunity to get four teams in. I guess you could say, like, let's say ASU pulls off the upset against UCLA. I think maybe no matter what happens in the Pac-12 tournament they're in, especially with back-to-back road wins against Arizona and against UCLA, USC needs this win, too, still to impress the committee uh, against number 8 Arizona. That would be a very impressive victory in order to polish their resume prior to Selection Sunday, prior to the Pac-12 tournament, because you just don't have many opportunities left in order to impress the committee if you're in the Pac-12 and you're knocking on the doorstep. Teams like Utah, teams like Oregon, they just don't really have any other shot other than run the table in the Pac-12 tournament right now, whereas ASU and USC still have a couple opportunities left to make a statement to the selection committee and say, we belong. I think USC has the best opportunity, especially with Arizona coming in walking wounded after that heartbreaking loss to ASU over this last week. Omar Bala, we don't know what his presence is going to be like on Thursday. So I think USC has a better shot to improve their resume this weekend with a win. Um, But who knows? I mean, ASU, they pulled out some magic in, in Tucson last week. Maybe they can do it in Pauly this week. I do think that taking a look at this Arizona team is so interesting because they've had many, many things go wrong for them in the last minute of games. For those that have been betting on Arizona, there's been no shortage of things there dating all the way back to the Maui Invitational. But I do like what I've seen out of Arizona. Certainly the Umar Balo injury is worth taking note of. But I do think that in the end, he probably does play in this game. And I do think that Arizona has a good chance to be able to get it done out west as curtis rogers who does amazing work over at 710 seattle sports is joining me on the podcast and you mentioned arizona state being able to get that big win over the weekend on the buzzer beater what do you make out of them going on the road against ucla because i do take a look at the pac-12 and i know that it's been really a one-two between arizona and ucla but i do feel like ucla has been able to separate just a little bit recently because their defense is so stout it feels like ucla is a team out of Every team in college basketball that has one of the lowest floors has one of the highest floors in the country just because it feels like UCLA has so many different ways to win. It might not always be sexy. It might not always be by like 30-plus points. But I take a look at this UCLA team, and they're the team that I take a look at right now, and I think that they've got the least volatility in a college basketball landscape that just has a whole bunch of it. A team that can go to the Elite Eight, a team that could potentially go to the Final Four, they just don't feel like you know much is going to knock them off their path right now. Um, I know Arizona beat them earlier this season, but I think UCLA gets the win over them 
this weekend. That's going to be a huge, huge game. The final game of the regular season on March 4th, Saturday. That's going to be one of the best games of the weekend, in my opinion, between the Wildcats and between the Bruins. But I think UCLA right now just has that ability to just, you know, not be phased by anything. They've got tournament experience. They've got a lot of guys that have been to the Final Four on this roster still. Jaime Jaquez and Tiger Campbell have accomplished a ton in their careers in the Pac-12. So I think UCLA right now is the class of the Pac-12 in this season. I think Arizona can go far in the tournament. I think they could go Sweet 16, make it to the second weekend. I don't really see them being a Final Four team right now. I think they still have a lot of flaws in their backcourt. You know, I think their bench hasn't given them enough production this season. But ASU right now, you look at what they've done this season in the Pac-12. I mean, their defense has been really, really good this year. Uh, obviously, they gave up the eighty-nine or the 88 points this weekend to Arizona. That's not the style of game they like to play. They like to play games, you know, in the 60s and 70s, and that's kind of how it's been a lot this season. Outside of that wild loss they had to San Francisco earlier this season, still one of the more unexplainable games uh, that we've seen on the college basketball calendar this year. But they have a big win against Creighton. They've got wins against number 20 Michigan. Like, they have been a good team this season. It's just that stretch of games in the middle of the year where they lost – on the road to the Washington schools, they got swept by the L.A. schools at home. That really, you know, took a, a blowtorch to their tournament hopes at that time where they were riding pretty high, 15-3, and 6-1 and one prior to that. But right now, they are peaking at the right time, having won four of their last five games. But they have to win on Thursday in order to silence any doubt come Selection Sunday time. Absolutely. And a man that always peaks at the right time and a man that, well, he's always at his peak as well. That'd be you, Curtis. You do absolutely amazing work over at 710 Seattle Sports. And I know that you've got a lot that is going to be going down. I know that you do an amazing job taking a look at the great game of college basketball. Seattle Mariners action is going to be getting started up relatively soon. I know that you do a great job there. You see how cracking our in season and they're looking like they're in for a big season as well. So let the good people at home know they're able to follow you on social media and just what's all on tap for you. Yeah, very busy time around these parts. Going to need to take a page out of Illinois' Matthew Mayer's playbook and just chug some monsters. I don't know if you saw that today, Greg. <laughs> uh, he's been missing the last few days of practice because he had five monsters in one night. I don't recommend that for anybody, but if that's what it takes to keep him up, I guess uh, – I might have to take a page out of his playbook. But yeah, very busy over these next few weeks, especially in the best time of year on the sports calendar, in my opinion. March going into April, you've got college basketball everywhere you look. You've got baseball everywhere you look. And uh, seattlesports.com is the place to go if you want to find any of our coverage up here. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at a kid from Kent and Greg. Always, 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 I say it always because I mean it always, always appreciate coming on with you and chopping it up and talking some college hoops with you. No doubt about it. Curtis won the best at taking a look at college basketball, won the best just in the industry of taking a look at a little bit of everything. The Seattle sports scene, it is hopping. And a man that hops around from sport to sport and does an amazing job of taking a look at them all is Curtis Rogers. A big thanks to him for joining me on Coast to Coast Hoops, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. Coming up next, it is that time of the podcast. They give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Thursday as we hit some bank shots. 
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Always great to be joined by Curtis Rogers. For those of you lucky enough to be in the Seattle area, he does a great job of being able to take a look at all those sports, whether that be the Seattle Mariners, the Gonzaga Bulldogs, the Seattle Seahawks. He does it all. Seattle Kraken will throw them in there and always does amazing work taking a look at the great game of college basketball with me. So big thanks to Curtis. For joining me in the last segment, now it is that time of the podcast to give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Thursday as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at GNR41. Essentially how it's going right now is... 
that we've got the non-conference tournament games at the top, aside from the extra games that involve the SWAC and the MEAC. And then from there, it's pretty much a time order of the conference tournaments. Like, the first conference tournament that's going to be up is going to be the Sun Belt with their first game at 12.30 p.m. Eastern time, and then the Missouri Valley with their first game starting at 1 Eastern, so on and so forth. So that is the order that we're going to be going in, and we start with 7.23-7.24. On the betting board, Louisiana Tech is going to be playing us the Florida International. Florida National is a, an underdog of six points, and your total on this game it is between a 143 and a half and 145. I made this line two and a half, and I'm not sure if bookmakers are aware that the top scorer for Louisiana Tech, Kobe Williams, he just completely left the program. He's not been with the team the last three weeks, and ever since Kobe Williams has left the fold for Louisiana Tech, they've won as many games as Greg Peterson. They have lost four straight games. They have not exceeded 67 points in any of these games. So you've got to essentially check out the numbers that we've seen on Louisiana Tech, and we've got to be taking a look at things anew because this is not the same Louisiana Tech team. Meanwhile, they go up against the Florida National team as looking to run and gun it. Florida National, they are 41st in the country in terms of total possessions per game, and Florida National is going to have by far the top score out there on the floor. His name is Denver, Denver Jones, which I do think is a tremendous name, 19.5 points per game. From three-point range, he's shooting right around 36.5%. He gives you two steals per game. You don't really have a lot of rebounding with Florida National. Now, out of your top five scores, four of them do give you at least 3.6 rebounds per game with Arturo Deem, Nick Kudarama. Throw in there Mr. Mohamed Sanogo. I'll give you between 4.1 and 4.2 rebounds per game. And Dean, 2.4 steals per game. He's been good with that regard for a national. They uh, generate about 9 steals per contest. They also do turn the ball over 15 times per game. But for Louisiana Tech, they don't have anything to really be able to bust through Florida National because they don't have a lot of rebounding. They've got one guy that gives you north of 5.3 rebounds per game, two guys that give you north of 3.5 rebounds per game. As you've been able to get 5.3 boards, 13.5 points per game out of Isaiah Crawford, who's been able to give the team 15-plus points each out of the last three games, but it's not a facilitator. Along with Williams losing all of his scoring, you also lose a guy that was giving you two steals and four assists per contest. This has completely changed this Louisiana Tech team. Now you're having to rely a little bit more on Caleb Stewart, who's been seeing a big bump of minutes, eight-plus points in each of the last four games, but he shoots 28% from three-point range. I still think Louisiana Tech has a little bit more down low, something like a Drayvon Magnum, but I do think that this is going to be a lower-scoring game. Louisiana Tech, without having their main scorer in the fold, they have been playing at a rate of nearly six possessions fewer per game, so I've really shaded down this total. Set it at a 142.5. I'm going to be looking under Florida National. So I make them a 2.5-point underdog. I'm going to take the six here with Florida National, and I'm going to be taking a look at this total under. Sub-25, sub-26 on the betting board. St. Peter's plays us a rider. Ryder is a 3.5-point favorite with your total 128 to 128.5. With Ryder, I set them as a 2.5-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take 3.5 with St. Peter's. You've got a pair of teams that are looking to play super-duper slowly. Ryder has really slowed down their tempo. It's no surprise that St. Peter's is playing slowly. 352nd in the country in terms of total possessions per game. Ryder is down to 301st, though. And both of these teams... They're solid. They're not great, but they're solid with regards to their defense. Ryder is going to have by far the best player out there on the floor, and that would be Dwight Murray Jr., a guy that's able to give you 16.5 points, chucks in there nearly five boards, three assists per game, shooting just below 40% 
from three points for a Ryder team that as the season has went along, they've gotten better and better with their defense. They're up to about 167th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis and only giving up about a half a point more per one hour possessions when they're away from home. We just noticed that all throughout the Metro Atlantic because travel is very low. Home and road splits, they aren't necessarily too big in this conference. For St. Peter's, you do have Jalen Murray along with Isaiah Dasher in the back. We're combining for 25 points. They both shoot about 31.5% from three-point. St. Peter's, a bottom 35 team in the country in terms of three-point shooting percentage at 28.4%. And they shoot about 38.5% overall from the floor. Not necessarily a team that does a supreme job with rebounding. So Mervyn James, the fact that He's able to chip in there for Ryder, 7.2 boards, right around 13 points per game. That should be able to help them out. But what St. Peter's has been able to do a relatively solid job of is just being able to hold up at the point of attack. They turn the ball over 12.4 times per game, which for their tempo, that's not great. That's not terrible. But they've been able to get a little bit more recently out of Corey Washington, a guy that has been able to haul in their four-plus rebounds in each of the team's last five games, coming off of a nice 18-point performance and he's given the team seven blocks in the last four games he's a six foot six little bit of a do-it-all player then you've got Latrell Reed who's really been a nice edge he suffered six points four and a half boards three and a half assists per game I think that this is going to be a slow grimy defense oriented game you take a look at St. Peter's and they have scored 67 points or fewer in every single one of their games really since the middle of January the last time they were able to exceed the 67-point plateau, that was against Mount St. Mary's on January 28th, and that is the only time this calendar year they have exceeded 67 points. But that said, this team has given up 73 points or fewer in every single game this year. Meanwhile, you've got a Ryder team that has had a tough time busting through with their offense as well. Aside from that double overtime game against Quinnipiac, which that game was 71-71 to going into overtime. This is a Ryder team that they really haven't allowed north of 71 points all calendar year aside from that game. They also gave up a 72 spot to Quinnipiac. So I think that you're going to be staring at a slow, grimy game. You've got a little bit more size with Ryder with Ajiri Aguemo-Johnson. Coming back, he's been able to give the team right around six rebounds per game overall this season, but has been able to do a much better job recently. He has now been able to supply the team with at least six rebounds in now at six of the team's last seven games. So that's a little bit of an upgrade. Ryder does shoot 74% of the free line, but only about 32.5% from three-point range. And Ryder is not a team that necessarily generates a lot of turnovers. St. Peter's does a bit of a better job with that. So did set my line at 2.5. I'm going to be willing to take the 3.5 with St. Peter's in what I think is going to be a slow, grimy game. So my total at 126.5. So also diving under to go along with the Peacock, 727-728. On the betting board, Sienna is going to be playing us Manan. Manan is an underdog of points. Total on this game, it is 136 of 136 half. Manhattan has actually been really good against the spread this season. Despite having an interim coach, 18 and 9 against the spread. I do like Sienna in this spot, though. I did set Sienna as a 9-point favorite. I think that JVL McCollum is going to be able to take over this game. He's been a little bit more pedestrian recently. Eight points or fewer in each of the last three games, but has done a good job of being able to facilitate, giving you about three assists per game in this band, chipping in there a steal, and you've got so many pieces around him as Andrew Playtech, who comes in from North Carolina. He supplies 11.5 points on 46% three-point shooting. Sienna's old. They shoot 35% from three. The big bugaboo that you do have with the Sienna team is that they do turn the ball over 
13.4 times for contest, but it's a Siena team that also ranks 85th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and you're just not going to get that from this Manhattan team. Manhattan is 240th in the country with this regard, and I will say, Manhattan actually allowing a point and a half less per one arm possessions when they leave home rather than when they're at home. Siena has been really slowing things down themselves. They're right around 237th of the country in terms of total possessions frame. Manhattan was a top 75 team in terms of tempo when they were out of conference in conference. Just given the competition that they played, they haven't slowed down, but you do have Ann Nelson and Samir Stewart doing a nice job combined for 28.1 points per game. Stewart is shooting 39% from three, but here's the big issue that you've got with Manhattan. They turn the ball for 13.7 times per game, and these two guys combine for six and a half turnovers a game. Now, they also do combine for seven and a half assists per game. You've had Josh Roberts do a nice job down low, 12 points, 9.7 rebounds per game. He's able to give you also about 1.8 blocks per contest, which and it's come up very handy for this team, but for the Siena team, they've also done a good job with their rebounding. Michael Bear, who comes in from Iowa, not much of a score with 4.5 points per game, but supplying 6.5 rebounds per game. You've been able to have also 8.5 points, 6.5 boards, nearly a block per game out of Jared Billups. So I do think that Siena going to be able to win from within. I do think that the backcourt play is a little bit better, and you've been able to get a little bit more out of Michael Ely as well, who's been able to supply the team with about 9 points per contest. He's done a good job night in and night out, giving this team consistency over the last few weeks, some plus points in each of the last five games, including a 23 spot against Mount St. Mary. So I do think that Siena going to be able to hold up with their defense. They're coming off of a less than savory 93 spot that they gave up by against Iona. But if you take a look at things other than that game, they did not allow north of 70 points for the entirety of the month. I think that that was just a byproduct of Iona being angry. I did set my total at 135 as a result. I'm going to be willing to go under, especially with a Manhattan team that has scored 73 points or fewer in every single one of their games of the past month, and they have exceeded the 73-point plateau just once in their last 14 games. So, going to be taking a look at the under in this spot, and I did set Siena as a 9-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number, 729-730. On the betting board, Iona. They play O's to Marist. Marist is an underdog of 17 points. Your total is anywhere between 138 and 139.5. I did set my total at 136, so another spot where I'm going to be looking at the under. Now, Iona has been held to below 70 points just three times all season long, but this Iona team is starting to really bear down with their defense. 14th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and if you take a look at them at home, I mentioned the fact that we don't necessarily have demonstrative home and road splits, but this team ranks in the top 12 nationally in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis when they are at home. They're going up against a Maris team that ranks in the bottom 30 in terms of total possessions per game. Maris about 130th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and I will say, to the credit of Maris, they're giving up 3.9 points fewer per one hour possessions when they leave home rather than when they're at home. As a matter of fact, if you take a look at them, just in terms of their defensive metrics, they're a top 40 team in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and a big reason why they do a good job in the post. Maris, a top 40 team in opponent's two-point shooting percentage. Now they completely give up the arc, but Patrick Gardner has been able to do a nice job for this Maris team. 18.5 points, 6 boards, shoots 35.5% from three-point range, been able to get about 7.5 points, mid-33 point shooting out of Javon Cooley as well, but I did set this line at 18. I'm going to be willing to lay the 17 with Iona because it really does feel like Iona, for one, is playing their best basketball. They have won each out of their last five games by at least 11 points at every single one of them. They're just dump-trucking opponents. And you take a look at the first time these two teams met. 
Iona went on the road. They put up 84 points in that game because while Maris does a good job of being able to guard within the three-point arc, you got an Iona team that, for one, they just have better athletes inside the arc. Nelly Jr. Joseph, 15 points, signing at boards, 1.3 steals, 1.4 blocks per contest. Osborne Shema, four and a half boards, a block and a half as a true seven-footer. And for two, this Maris team is really bad at being able to guard the three-point arc. Iona, as well, they shoot about 35.5% from three, but Walter Clayton, one of the best sharpshooters at the mid-major level. 16.5 points, four boards, three assists, 1.9 seals on 94% free throw shooting, 41% three-point shooting. You've got Dennis Jenkins, the best point guard in this conference. 14.9 points, 4.9 assists, a little bit over a steal per game. Barrick Jean Louis is able to give you right around a block, a steal, eight points per game. So you've got so many different pieces for this team. Like Anton Brookshire has not been widely used this season, shooting 38.5% from three. He's all of a sudden come alive for 36 points in the last three games. So you just have weapons upon weapons for Iona. I do think that Iona is going to do a good job of just pounding this Maris team into oblivion, a Maris team that they just don't have a lot of three-point shooting. They're shooting sub-31% from distance overall for the season. Coming off of a nice 81 spot that they were able to put up against Manhattan. But, I mean, other than that, they had scored 67 points or fewer in each of their previous four games. Last time these two teams played, Maris scored 57 in that affair. And the Maris team has been able to get past the 70-point plateau just twice in their last 12 games. I do think that Iona... Going to be able to just stifle with their defense at my total out of 136. I'm diving under and with Iona. Made them an 18-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the 17 with them. 731, 732 on the betting board. Rutgers, it's the road face-off against Minnesota. Minnesota is an 8.5-point underdog with your total between 126.5 and 127. I made my total 123.5. I'm going to be looking at the under. It's a um, Rutgers team that certainly has had their issues on the road as overall for the season, Rutgers fourth in the country. Turns points a lot on a per-possession basis, but they're giving up 21.4 points more per 100 possessions when they leave home rather than when they are at home. But that said, you've also got a Minnesota team that, I mean, they've got Dawson Garcia back at full who's been able to do an amazing job for this team. And what I will say is that while Garcia gets all the love because he's been able to give the team right around 15 points, seven boards per contest, you do have another versatile player in Taylon Cooper. Comes in for more, I'd say, He's been really good at the point guard spot. 9.9 points, 5.9 assists to about 2.7 turnovers per game. All's in there, four boards. Shooting 37.5% from three. Gives you a block, gives you a steal per game. But, I mean, man, you've got absolutely no depth whatsoever with regards to this Minnesota team. And it's a Minnesota team that ranks in the bottom 100 in terms of total possessions per game. You take a look at them in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. And... Minnesota, they are 264th in the country. They do play a little bit better at home, giving up right around 7.4 points per 100 possessions fewer at home rather than in a roadside shoot court environment. And for Rutgers, the offense has just been a complete and utter disaster without having Muat Mog in the fold. The team has been able to break the 61-point plateau once in their last six games, but they should be able to still manhandle down low. You've got Cliff Amarui, who's been able to do an amazing job with 13.2 points, Right around 10 boards, ships in there, two blocks per contest. Caleb McConnell has been not necessarily giving you a lot on offense, but he and Cam Spencer combined for 4.6 steals per game. Among teams in the power conference level, these two guys combined for the most steals of any duo in all of college basketball. McConnell, 9.7 points, three assists per game. Spencer, 12.5 points, three assists, shoots 42% for three. Paul Mouquet, five assists. Doesn't turn the ball over a heck of a lot. Rutgers, 
just 11.4 turnovers per game. They are a team outside the top 225 in terms of total possessions per game. And I mean, without Mog in the fold, they've been able to find their way on defense. This bunch has given up fewer than 60 points in each of their last three games. They've given up fewer than 70 points in all but one of their games without Mog. So the defense is just fine. Minnesota. They're starting to really regress with their defense. They've given up at least 76 points at each other last four games. Offense has honestly been a tad better. They've scored between 67 and 70 points in each other last four games. Even with that, it's still a bottom one in offense in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis, and they've exceeded 70 points just once this calendar year. I do think that Rutgers is going to be able to get much more of their flow in this game. You take a look at the last time these two teams played. It was 90-55 to on the home floor of Rutgers. Now, Mog did play in that game, and Rutgers went 10-20 of from three-point range. I certainly don't think that that's going to be duplicating itself. I think that Minnesota could go a little bit better than 5-25 of from three. That was also a game in which Dawson Garcia was out of the fold for, but I do think that Rutgers going to be able to go on the road. They're going to be able to do a solid job here, but I did make Rutgers just a 7.5-point favorite. We have noticed the very big home and road splits of Rutgers thus far this season, and I just flat out don't think that Rutgers, with having Mog out of the fold, are going to be able to score enough points to be able to cover this number. I think that we're going to see a lot of regression from what we saw the first time around. I set my number at 7.5, so here at 8.5, I'm going to be taking the Grody home underdog of Minnesota, who, by the way, have lost by 11 points or fewer in three out of the last four games and 12 points or fewer in four out of the last five. So they've been a little bit more competitive ever since they've gotten Darlison Garcia back in the fold. So I'm going to be taking the points. And I set my total at 123.5. Rutgers defense looking rock solid. Offense not so much. So looking at the under and going to be taking a look at the points with Minnesota. Let's go with the DK Nation pick. 733, 734 on the betting board. We say in the Big Ten for Michigan. It's a road face off against Illinois. Illinois is a three and a half point favorite, and your total is 144.5. DK Nation pick is going to be on Illinois. I did set them as a six and a half point favorite. This is a Michigan bunch that, despite having Hunter Dickinson down low, has not been a good rebounding team. They're just 163rd in the country in terms of rebound rate. The big reason why is the only player other than Dickinson that gives you north of really four and a half rebounds per game is Terrence Williams, who's been solid, six and a half points, 6.3 rebounds per game, but. Right now, Michigan has been dealing with an injury to Jet Howard now. I think Howard plays. He's missed the last two games, and the team has won both of the games. But if you take a look at Michigan in regulation, because that Wisconsin game went to overtime, the game turned into a total calamity in overtime where there was like 35 points scored in the extra session. So if you look in regulation only, in the three games that Michigan has played without Jet Howard, they're averaging fewer than 66 points per game. And Hunter Dickinson, with Jet Howard out there on the floor, he averages 1.4 three-pointers attempted per game. Without Howard on the floor, he has to attempt four. That takes him away from the basket quite a bit more. That allows Illinois. He grabs an offensive rebound on about 32% of their missed shots to be able to do a lot more of that. I do think that Illinois is going to be able to win from within as among their top five scores, four of them on there at least 4.8 rebounds per game as Matthew Meyer, Terrence Shannon, Coleman Hawkins, Dane Danger, I'll do that. Danger has been a little bit pedestrian recently, but he and Hawkins both give you a block per contest. Hawkins gives you three assists, 10 points per game. It's not a great three-point shooting team with Illinois, but they control things down low. They're 10th in the country in opponents' two-point shooting percentage, 16th in their own two-point shooting percentage on offense with TJ Shannon being back fold, 
giving this team 17 points, a little bit over a seal per contest. And Illinois has been allowing 17.1 points fewer per 100 possessions at home rather than in a road slash neutral court environment. They are a top 20 team overall in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. And this has just flat out been a completely different team at home rather than when they have been away from home. Last time Illinois gave up north of 70 points when they have been at home because they have certainly given up that moniker when they have been away from home. But at home, you have to go all the way back to the game that they played against Indiana in mid-January. They've been able to do a nice job of holding up at the point of attack there. Meanwhile, you've got a Michigan team that has really been up and down with their defense. They're right around 112th in the country in points a lot on a per-possession basis, giving up 7.3 points more per 100 possessions when they do leave home. Now, Michigan riding a nice three-game win streak, but they have been very Jekyll and Hyde with their offense. Over their last five games, they have scored 61, 59, 84, 58, and 87 points. Now, the 87, that was that overtime game that they played against Wisconsin. They had scored 68 points in regulation. Once again, I think Jet Howard plays. I think Jet Howard is going to be far from 100%, which probably means you're going to be seeing a little bit more. Joey Baker gives you 5.5 points. She's about 40% from 3 for Michigan. And 2, Michigan's credit. They only turned the ball over about 10 times for contests. Illinois, early on during this season, they were generating a lot of turnovers. Not doing as much of that now. They've just been doing a good job with their on-ball defending. I do think that with Howard deal with an injury, probably going to play, but going to play less than 100%. That pulls Hunter Dickinson away from the basket. Illinois, I think, is going to be able to win from within, and flat out, Illinois has been significantly better at home this season. I did set Illinois as a favorite of six half points. My DK Nation pick, that is on Illinois. I do think that Michigan is a little bit diminished with, once again, I'm thinking Howard plays, but plays at less than 100%. Did set my total 142.5, and Illinois just better with their defense at home, so looking at the under and my write-up, that is going to be on Illinois. Illinois, 735-736 on the betting board. Houston plays also Wichita State. Wichita State is an underdog of 17 to 17 and a half points with your total between 131 and 131 and a half. I said Houston has a 19-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. Houston has covered two-thirds of their games as north of a 15-point favorite the last three seasons. This team has been a complete bulldozer when they've had to cover big numbers, and I do think that they're going to be able to cover another one here as Houston is going to be able to do a tremendous job of holding down your two main scores with Wichita State. Craig Porter Jr. along Jaquan Walton. They've been able to combine for 26.9 points per game. Porter is able to give you 4.5 assists, 1.4 steals per game, and they do combine to be able to give you about 11.7 rebounds per game. It is a Wichita State team that has among their top five scorers, four of them hauling in there at least 5.3 rebounds per game to their credit, but Wichita State also shoots 30% from three-point range. That is a bottom 35 mark in all of college basketball. Wichita State has also allowed at least 69 points in 10 out of their last 12 games. It has been a defense that has been rather unsightly recently. Actually, 10 out of their last 11 to make it even worse. But for Wichita State, in terms of their defense, it's been actually better when they have been on the road, which is very strange to say. They are allowing about 4.8 points fewer per 100 possessions when they leave home, but the problem is they're going up against a Houston team that just mauls you into the ground with their defense. They're giving up 80.1 points per 100 possessions when they're at home. They're number two overall in the country. Turns points allowed on a per possession basis, and you just take a look at this Houston team. They allowed 65 points or fewer in every single one of their games in the month of February. I mean, my goodness. They have given up north of 70 points twice all season long, and you got a Houston team that has all sorts of shooters on this roster. Jairus Walker and Jaywan Roberts are more of your rebounders for this team. They've been able to combine for 22 points, a little bit over 14 rebounds. Walker, good versatility, shoots 36% from three. Traymond Mark, 10 points, 4.5 boards, shoots 37% from three. Marcus Sasser, 
1.7 steals, shoots 38% from three. And Houston, we always talk about their defense. This is a top 10 team in terms of points scored on a per possession basis as well. And a big reason why Jamal Shedd doesn't give you a lot of scoring. Nine points per game, shoots about 32% from three, but 5.5 assists and 1.9 turnovers per game. Houston only turns the ball over 9.7 times per game. This is a Wichita State team that they're slow. They're not necessarily playing at a snail's pace. Houston is in the bottom 40 in terms of possessions per game. Wichita State more on 156th. Much of that is due to the double overtime game that we saw on Super Bowl Sunday. So if you look on a per 40-minute basis, they're a little bit below average. But for this Wichita State team, they just don't have a lot of guys. They're able to bomb it from three-point range. Bob and Flanagan was giving them a little bit of a boost. He's not doing that anymore. And I do think that Houston is going to be able to do an even better job than they did the first time around at the roundhouse. That was a 70-61 to win in that game. You actually saw Wichita State win the rebound battle by a count of 37-32. to Wichita State, though, lost that turnover battle by a count of 12 to 6, and they are the 3 to 12 of 23 point shooting. Houston just year in and year out, one of the best three point shooting defenses in all of college basketball. Now they have scored 76 plus points in four out of their last five games, so it's an interesting handicap. I did set my total 129. While Wichita State has been giving up the points, I just don't think that they're going to be able to generate enough offense to be able to get this total over just because with the way that Houston is playing, I'm not sure if Wichita State is going to be able to get past really the 57-58 point plateau. So it's a circumstance where I'm going to be willing to take the under and with Houston set them as a 19 point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number 737-738. On the betting board, Temple, we give our ode to Lane Kiffin. Go Elves. They play us to Central Florida. This is a pick'em game and your total is between 133.5 and 134.5. Did semi-total 133.5, so here at 134.5, I'm going to be willing to dive under. It's a Central Florida bunch that had a really rough time with their defense without Darius Johnson in the fold. They've gotten back Darius Johnson. He's really their best on-ball defender, and he's their leader in steals as he's been able to generate 2.3 swipes, 10.5 points, 4.5 assists per game, so things flow much more smoothly with him in the fold. Got a pair of nice scorers and C.J. Kelly, Ithiel Horton, will be able to combine for 24.7 points per game, but the big bugaboo for Central Florida is turnovers. They're in the bottom half of all of college basketball in terms of total possessions per game, yet they turn the ball over 13.5 times per game. Now, I will say this about Central Florida. This team has been supreme with their defense when they've been in a road-slash-shoot-record environment. They allow about 2.7 points fewer per 100 possessions when they leave home rather than when they're at home. As a matter of fact, they are sixth in the country. Turns points a lot on a per-possession basis away from home. Taylor Hendricks has good versatility with 15 points, 6 at boards. He's been able to shoot 41% from 3-point range, but... He's really the only guy in the roster that gives you north of four and a half rebounds per game. And I think the Temple is going to be able to do a good job of rebounding by committee. You got a pair of guys in Zach Hicks, along with Jamiah Reynolds. And Reynolds actually used to play for Central Florida. They've been able to combine for about ten and a half rebounds. They both give you between nine and ten points per game. Hicks has been able to shoot 36% from three. And having to match up with K-Leaf Battle along with Damian Dunn, I think is going to be able to get it done for Temple. They have been able to combine for 33.2 points per contest. Dawn is shooting 37% from three-point range, and they both shoot above 84% of the free line. Temple as a whole, they shoot 76% of the charity strike. And a pair of teams that they play a little bit more slowly, but it's not like they play at a snail's pace. And Temple, much like Central Florida, they've got those same turnover woes, as it's a Temple team that's turning the ball over 13.7 times per contest. Very interestingly, Temple, we, they've also had a little bit of a tough time when they've been at home rather than on the road with their defense. Temple's another team of which is giving up 4.3 points fewer per 100 possessions when they're on the road rather than when they're at home, which makes no sense whatsoever. But Central Florida has been able to get back to their roots a little bit more, playing more solid defense. Offense has been throttled down 71 points or fewer in three out of their last four games. 
Meanwhile, you got a Temple team that is coming off of an overtime game against Cincinnati. If you take a look at that in regulation, it was 75 to 75. So, still a game that was going to be going over, but for this Temple team, it certainly has been a team that's been all over the place with their defense as they have now given up at least 72 points in four of their last five games. But I do think that things are going to be reined in a little bit more with this respect. Central Florida has been amazing with their defense on the road. And the last time these two teams played, it did go to overtime in regulation. That was 62-62. to And Temple, they won the game just because you had the uh, duo in the backcourt in Dunn and Battle be the best two players out there on the floor. You had Temple be able to do a solid job winning that rebound battle 37-34. to And I think that they're going to need to do much the same to be able to get it done. I do think that they're going to be able to hold up on their home floor. I did set Temple as a one-half point favorite, taking them on this pick'em line. Made my total 133 and a half, also diving under. 739, 740 on the betting board. Fairfield plays host to Quinnipiac. Quinnipiac is a one-point favorite. And your total, it is 136 and 136 half. I set Quinnipiac as a three-and-a-half point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay their number. Quinnipiac has been one of the more up-tempo teams in the Metro Atlantic. They're down below the top 75 in terms of total possessions per game, just given the competition that they play in the Metro Atlantic. But the squad has been able to do a nice job on defense, 68th in the country. Turns points a lot on a per-possession basis. And you're looking at another team that actually does a better job of their defense when they're away from home. This is a top-20 team in the country in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis in a road-slash-shoot-your-corn environment. Now they're facing off with a Fairfield team that just has not been able to put the ball in the basket from three-point range all season long. And Fairfield... They're more around 325th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. And Fairfield has been able to do a good job with their defense as well. They're 122nd in the country in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, giving up just 0.8 points per 100 possessions fewer when they're at home rather than in a road-slash-shoot-record environment. And it is a Fairfield team that has been able to do a good job of holding up at the point of attack all season long. But you've also got a Fairfield team that, in regulation, because they played an overtime game against Mount St. Mary, so... Regulation only. They have scored 72 points or fewer in every single one of their games this calendar year. And it's a squad that, against D1 competition, they have scored 73 points or fewer in every one of their games since Thanksgiving. Not getting a lot of scoring there. You do have Supreme Cook down low, giving you 12.8 points, 8.5 rebounds per game. But Fairfield is a bottom 35 team in terms of 3-point shooting percentage at 28.7%. They only turn the ball over about 11.8 times per game with Caleb Fields, giving you 11.5 points, 2.3 assists per game. But was expecting a lot more out of Jake Wojcik. He's just been a big, giant flopper, Rooney. Two seasons ago, was averaging 12.5 points per game. He's down to right around 6 points per game this season. Alan Gene Rose has been able to give you about 10 points per game, but for Quinnipiac, you've got such good balance scoring for this team as you've got four separate guys that give you between 10 and 12 points per game. Matt Blanish, Ike Nikwe, Lewis Coatwright, Long Desi Jones, Jones and Coatwright have been able to combine for 7.6 assists to right around 4.7 turnovers a game. Jones shoots 40% from three. And all in all, it is a Quinnipiac team that does turn the ball for 13 times per game. And if you do have trepidation with this team, they shoot just 66% at the free throw line. But among their top six scores, four of them do shoot at least 72.3% at the free throw line. And they should be able to win the battle down low with Paul Otinio giving you seven rebounds per game. Nikwe as a 6'7 combo player, 10 points, 5.5 boards, shoots about 32%. From three-point range, Quinnipiac just has more weapons than Fairfield, and Quinnipiac has good versatility with their defense and has been amazing on the road all season long. Did set my total 133.5. I think Quinnipiac is going to be playing a little bit more of a slow style than normal, but I think that they're going to excel well in a late with Quinnipiac and taking a look at the under. 741-742 on the betting board. North Texas plays of two Middle Tennessee. Middle Tennessee is a 7.5 to an 8-point underdog with your total 121 to 121.5. I set my total at a 120. 
23 and a half. I know that it's always a roll of the dice. Taking a look at North Texas overs because they are dead last in the country in terms of total possessions per game, but I'm going to be taking a look at the over in this spot. And for North Texas, it's not like they're the world's worst offense. They only supply about 63.5 points per game, but they shoot us a collective 35% from three. They turn the ball over 11.8 times per game. They shoot nearly 74% of the free throw, and they do have a primary score. Tyler Perry, we've seen him on the silver screen. Now we see him on the hardwood. 17 points, two assists, shoots 44% from three-point range, but coupled with their tremendously slow style, North Texas is one of the legitimately best defenses in all of college basketball, 35th in the country. Turns points a lot on a per-possession basis. They do go up against a Middle Tennessee team that the hole is greater than the sum of its parts with them, and for Middle Tennessee, they're significantly worse defense when they leave home as they're giving up 15.6 points more per one hour possessions in a roadside shooter court environment rather than at home. Now, Middle Tennessee coming in playing some of the best defense that they have all season long as they have given up 70 points or fewer in each of their last three games and 58 and 49 points is what they gave up the last two games. But for Middle Tennessee, the big key for them taking care of the ball is this is a mid-tempo offense that turns the ball over 13 and a half times for contest. Eli Lawrence has done a good job as has really the rest of the team in rebounding by committee. Each of your top five scores give you at least five rebounds per game. You've only got one guy giving you north of 4.7 boards per contest. That'd be DeAndre Ditchman, 10.5 points, 5.4 boards, a steal. He's been able to do a nice job with his versatility, but Lawrence, 12.5 points. He's been able to shoot about 34% from three-point range. Also, among your top five scores, four of them for Middle Tennessee do generate at least one seal per game. You do have Elias King, who's able to shoot right around 40% from three, but Middle Tennessee has been a rather pedestrian three-point shooting team. And then for North Texas, you do have Abdul Usman, who's been able to do a nice job down low. Six rebounds, right around 11.5 points per game. You've got a lot of guys that they don't necessarily score a lot, like an Aaron Scott, Jaden Martinez, guys like this that they give you right around four and a half, five and a half, six points per game, but they all make valuable contributions. Like Scott is able to give you about five rebounds per game, but I do think that we've went a little bit too low in terms of the total. It is a North Texas team that has still been absolutely tremendous with their defense, but they've also gotten past 67 points in four of their last five games. Their last game against Charlotte was a 55-49 to slobber knocker, but Charlotte, they're also a bottom five team in terms of tempo and all of college basketball. And Middle Tennessee is not that. They're 185th in the country, which I recognize is not warp speed or anything like that, but I do feel like we went a little bit too low in this spot, and I do think that North Texas is going to have a tough time being able to cover this big of a number. I think that Middle Tennessee is going to be able to force some steals. I think that they're going to be looking to turn defense into offense. I do think that they're going to have a little bit of success with it. The last time these two teams played, it was a 56-51 to low-scoring slog, but in that game, both teams want to combine 9 of 32 from three-point range. I certainly do think that we're not going to see a combined 33 turnovers and 37 made buckets in this game, I do think that's going to be going a little bit northward. I do think that there's going to be a little bit more ball security. And if we do see those turnovers, it turns into run out layups. So, semi total 123.5, willing to go over. And I'm going to be willing to take the points with Middle Tennessee, set them as a 5.5 point underdog. 743, 744 on the betting board. Rice, we give our ode to Lane Kiffin. Go else. They go up against Lane Kiffin's old school Florida Atlantic, who is a 9 to 8.5 point favorite in your total. As between 154 and 155. I said Florida and Lank is an 8.5 point favorite, so here at 9, I'm going to be willing to take a shot on Rice. The big reason why I do like Rice in this spot is because they've got the versatility of Max Fiedler. He's 6'11", he doesn't pop threes, but he gives you a block, 5 assists, 8 rebounds, and 10.5 points per game. That helps out Travis Evie along Quincy Oliveri, who've been able to combine for 34.5 points. 
Evie shoots 35% from three. Oliveri shoots 37% from the outside. And Oliveri also chips in there. Six rebounds per game. Now it's a really balanced for Atlantic team has been able to do a nice job with their defense, and they've been able to do a nice job with their offense. They're in the top 55 nationally in terms of both points scored and points allowed on a per-possession basis with their defense really traveling. They're 30th overall in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but in a roadside shoot record environment, they're in the top 20 with that regard as Florida Atlantic has so many guys that they're able to rely upon for good consistency and for just general production. Each of their top three scores give you at least five rebounds per game and Elijah Martin flooded Slav Golden, who's the seven-footer that also chips in their block to go along with his 10.5.6.6 .6 rebounds per game and John L. Davis. Davis shoots 40% from three with his 13 points, 1.3 seals per game. Martin shoots more around 38.5% from three. Far Inch Florida Atlantic, a mid-tempo team that turns ball over 11.8 times per game. Meanwhile, Rice, well, they are certainly leaving something to be desired with their defense. Three hundredth in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. I can't necessarily say that this defense comes in in tremendous form as they've given up at least 70 points in each of their last five games and they've given up at least 77 points in four of them. The lone exception was when they went up against Charlotte, who was one of the slowest teams in all of college basketball, but... I send these two teams played. Rice was able to get the game up and down. They held in there. They lost by nine on floor Atlantic's home floor, which was not too bad. And even though they lost that rebound battle by 11, even though they lost a turnover battle by two, they were able to hang in there. They threw their three-point shooting, and that was a game of which Max Fiedler wasn't foul trouble. I think the Fiedler is going to do a better job staying out of foul trouble, and I do think that he's going to be a disruptor in this game. I do think that... Florida Atlantic being a chameleon, they are going to be willing to play up-tempo once again, but I do think that we went a little bit too far with this total. I do think the things are going to be throttled down just a little bit in this ordeal, especially with Florida Atlantic having given up 66 points or fewer in each of their last two games. So, a circumstance where I'm going to be taking a look at this total under. I set my total at a 148.5, and with Rice, we'll take 9 with them. 745, 746 on the bidding board. UT San Antonio, meet me for the Roadrunners. They play out to Charlotte. Charlotte is a 7 to a 7.5 point favorite, and your total it is between 133 and 134.5 and with UT San Antonio. I did set them as an underdog of 8.5 points, so I'm going to be willing to lay it with Charlotte. UT San Antonio has just been a complete and utter wreck with their defense. They are going up against the Charlotte team that is in the bottom five nationally in terms of total possessions frame. San Antonio, they're looking to play a little bit more up-tempo, but nothing too rambunctious. But 342nd in the country is UT San Antonio in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. They're giving up right around 9 points fewer per 100 possessions at home, but it's still grody. You've got a Charlotte team that has been able to do a nice job with their three-point shooting as well, despite the fact that they play slowly. They actually have a relatively functional offense. They only turn the ball over about 10.7 times per contest. They shoot as a collective 37.5% from three. And Ali Khalifa at six foot eleven, good versatility. 11.5 points, 6.5 boards, 2.6 assists, nearly a block per contest. Bryce Williams shoots 41.5% from three with 12.5 points per game. You've been able to get good facilitation out of Lucille Patterson. Three assists, so about 1.4 turnovers per game. And then you've got a 48.5% three-point shooter in Montre Gibson. So, Charlotte has all the goods there for UT San Antonio. Jacob Germany does a nice job down low. He's able to supply 8.3 rebounds, 12.5 points per game, but he's one of just two players on the roster. They give you at least 3.3 rebounds per game. Joseph Metter has been solid as a point guard, 3.7 assists, 
does turn the ball over three times for contest, but that's just because he doesn't have a lot of creators around him. You got the Boogeyman, John Bugs, a third along DJ Turner Up Richards, combined for about 21 half points per game, and the Boogeyman shoots 39% from three, but UT San Antonio also turns the ball over 14 times for contest. It's just been a mess for UT San Antonio, allowing at least 77 points in each of their last five games. Offense has been able to get going a little bit more. They've been able to exceed the 78-point plateau in three of their last four games, but this Charlotte team has been rock solid with their defense as well, allowing 67 points for fear in each of their last five games. They always get their low and slow tempo, and as a matter of fact, for Charlotte, the last time they gave up north of 67 points in a game, you have to go all the way back to January 21st. The last time these two teams played, Charlotte won that game by kind of 72-54 to 54 on their home floor. I think that Charlotte is going to be able to dictate the tempo in this game. I certainly do think that UT San Antonio is going to be giving up some buckets, but I do think that Charlotte completely slows them down. I think that Charlotte is able to win their game. I did set this line at 8.5. I'm going to be one away with Charlotte. Semi total 132.5, so also diving under 747-748 on the betting board. UCLA plays us Arizona State. Arizona State is a 13-point underdog with your total between 133 and 134. I say UCLA as a 12-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. I was mentioning it with Curtis Rogers. It does feel like UCLA is the team that is least, shall we say, vulnerable to having a early round bow-out, but at the same time, they're not necessarily one of those teams that's going to completely blow you out. Now, with UCLA, what I absolutely love about this team is the fact that they do everything pretty well, and I mean, this is more than just playing pretty well. They are third in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Jaime Acas, Jalen Clark, these guys have been amazing in the backcourt. Clark, he's able to supply 2.6 steals, 6 boards, 13 points per game. Acas and Clark both shoot between about 33 and 34% from 3. Acas, 8 boards, 17 points, steal and a half per game. Could maybe use a little bit more down low, but Adam Bona has been able to give you a block and a half per game, and they just don't hurt themselves. With UCL, you've got a main three-point shooter in David Singleton, who gives you nine points on 43% three-point shooting, and then Tiger Campbell, 12.5 points, 4.7 assists, fewer than two turnovers per game. You've got Amari Bailey to be able to hold it all together. But for Arizona State, this team has been great with their defense all season long. They're a team that plays at a rate that is in the top 100 in terms of total possessions per game, but Arizona State, 29th in the country. In terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, they've been able to hold up at the point of attack. They do a relatively solid job on the Anthony Road as well. They've got Warren Washington, a 7-footer, that should be able to do a good job down low, 9.6.7 rebounds per game. They have been dealing with a little bit of an injury to Austin Nunez. He's a freshman that has been able to shoot about 38% from three, so that does hurt the Arizona State offense as a whole. They shoot about 31.5% from three, but they really don't hurt themselves. 11.8 turnovers per game. Frankie Collins does a good job in support of the Cambridge brothers, nearly 11.5 points, 4.5 boards, 4.5 assists. And then you got Desmond and Devon Cambridge. Combined shoot about 34% from three. You've been able to get about 14 points and a little bit over a steal per game out of Desmond Cambridge. Meanwhile, Devon, he gives you a little bit north of 10 points per game. These guys have been very good in tandem. I do think that Arizona State is going to be able to hold up at the point of attack. They are coming off of giving up 88 points in their last game against Arizona. That was a game that was very, very harebrained. But as I said, this team has allowed 70 points or fewer. And now, I believe, seven out of their last eight game, so I do think that they hold up there. This is a UCLA team that has been just pounding teams into oblivion with their defense, and their offense has been relatively consistent between 70 and 78 points in four of their last five games, but I do think that things get throttled down in this game, and that allow Arizona State to be able to cover. I did set my number at 12. Going to be willing to take 13 with Arizona State. and made my total of 130, so also diving under. 749, 750 on the betting board. UTEP is going to be 
playing us to Western Kentucky. Western Kentucky is a underdog of three to two and a half points, and your total is between 136 and 137. I did say Western Kentucky as a underdog of two and a half points. Going to be looking to take the three. With UTEP, they have had some pretty demonstrative home and road splits as well, and they are very much an all-or-nothing SEALs team as UTEP has been in the top 25 nationally in terms of turnovers forced on a per-possession basis, but they also commit right around 15 turnovers per game. For UTEP, they are allowing 14.2 points fewer per 100 possessions when they're at home rather than in a roadside shoot record environment. And for UTEP, what I will say for them is that the offense has been significantly better recently. They've been able to get past the 72-point plateau and now three out of their last four games, and they've gotten to at least 69 points and now five out of their last eight games. So that is marked improvement for a team that shoots 27.6% from three and 63.5% the free line with those 15.7 turnovers per game by Tay Hardy, Lunch, Mark Givens. These guys have been able to give you a combined about 23.5 points per game. Givens, two steals, 4.1 assists per game, and Givens along with 6'6", Calvin Solomon, who chips in their nine points, six boards, two assists per game. They both give you two steals per game individually, but Givens at his 32.4% three-point shooting, He's the only guy on the roster that shoots north of 30% from three-point range, and I'm not even joking when I say that. Meanwhile, for Western Kentucky, we got Davion McKnight. He just stuffs the stat sheet. 16.5 points, 5 boards, 4 assists, 1.7 steals per game. Team has dealt with an injury to Luke Frampton, but in his absence, Deontay Allen has really been able to step it up. He shoots 39% for three, 9.5 points per game, but you take a look at what he's been able to do down the stretch, and it has been relatively impressive for Western Kentucky. 10-plus points in each of the last seven games. He's been able to do a good job of hitting the glass as well as he's been able to supply at least five rebounds and now six out of the team's last nine games as well. So he has been a valuable contribution and you've got Jamarian Sharp. 7.4 rebounds and 4.3 blocks for the tallest player in all of college basketball at 7.5 and he also leads all of college basketball in terms of blocks per game. Darius Hamilton along with Emmanuel Acop. Both of these guys stand north of 6'6". They're combining for about 20.5 points. They shoot in the mid-30s from three-point range and last time these two teams played it was Western Kentucky in early February that got the job done on their home floor, 74-69. to Once again, UTEP's defense significantly better when they're at home, but UTEP lost that game despite going 9-24 of from 3, winning the turnover battle by 2. Jamarian Sharp had 6 blocks in that game. I do think that this is a relatively rough matchup for UTEP. I do think that the defense is going to be significantly better in this game than it was the first time around with them being at home, so I did set my total at 134.5, diving under, but I do think that Western Kentucky can hold up down low. So Western Kentucky is a 2.5 point dog, so we'll take the 3 with the Hilltoppers and the under, 751-752 on the betting board. Oregon State plays us to Sanford. Sanford is a 5.5 to a 4.5 point favorite, and your total, that is between 132.5 and 133, and for Sanford, it has been a very inconsistent team all season long, but I set them as a 5 point favorite, and I would rather lay 4.5 than take 5.5 as of right now, so I will personally be lighting this marinade in the AM because I am very reluctant to back this terrible Sanford team, but at current numbers, I'd be willing to lay four and a half with Sanford begrudgingly because it is a Sanford team that goes up against an Oregon State bunch that just has no rebounding whatsoever. Oregon State's leading rebounder is Dimitri Rooney. He's been able to give you 4.2 rebounds for him. Michael Rattage has also been able to give you four boards between these two guys. You get right around 8.3 rebounds, 11.5 points per game, and both actually shoot it quite well from three-point range, but also with Oregon State, they're a bottom 40 team in terms of total possessions per game, and yet they turn the ball over north of 13 times for contest. One of the worst teams at being able to take care of it on off-college basketball. Sanford, they're bad at taking care of the ball as well. Sanford is a little bit more of a slow and controlled team with 12.8 turnovers per game of their own, but 
not even Stanford is that bad at being able to take care of the ball. Stanford right around 310th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. And for Stanford, in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis, 168th in the country with this regard. They do give up 11.6 points per one hour possessions more when they leave home. And for Oregon State, they do get a nice boost from being in Corvallis. They do give up 12.2 points fewer per one hour possessions away from home. But I don't know if they're going to be able to match up with all the versatility that you've got for Sanford. It's a top 35 rebound rate team. Harrison Ingram hasn't been terrific, but he's still better than what Oregon State is able to throw out there. 10 points, 5.8 boards. She's about 33% from three. Spencer Jones has been terrific. 13.5 points, 4.5 boards. He shoots 37% from three. And overall, Sanford has been able to kick it up with their three-point shooting percentage. They're now shooting 35% as a collective. It's a team that's gotten to at least 75 points in three out of their last five games, and they've exceeded 70 points and now seven out of their last 11 games. Meanwhile, even an Oregon State team has just been completely stuck in the mud. They've scored 62 points or fewer in now four out of their last five games. As a matter of fact, they have scored 62 points or fewer in six out of their last seven games, and they have not exceeded the 68-point plateau in each of their last 12 games. On the last side, these two teams hooked up. Sanford got that win by a count of 67-46 to on a day where Oregon State shot 7-21 from 3, but on the turnover rattle, 17-9. So, it is a circumstance where I do think that Oregon State is going to be able to get more of their slow, grimy defensive style. I think both of these teams have a tough time putting the ball in the basket. Somebody told 129 diving under, but with Sanford, made them a 5-point favorite. Would be willing to lay a 4.5 here with Sanford to go along with this total under. 753-754 on the betting board. Wisconsin plays us to Purdue. Purdue is a 4-point favorite, and your total it is between 127 and 128. Made Purdue a 3-point favorite. I'm actually going to be willing to take the points with Wisconsin. Wisconsin has done an incredible job of making things slow, grimy, and really, really sad. As it's a Wisconsin bunch that, if you take a look at regulation and regulation only, because they played that overtime game against Nebraska, they played that overtime game against Michigan, the squad has given up fewer than 70 points in every one of their last eight games. So they've been able to do a great job on that front. It's a Wisconsin team that plays at a bottom 20 rate in terms of total possessions per game when overtime is on so in regulation only, they do a good job down low with Tyler Wall, Stephen Crawl, being able to combine for 23 points, 13 and a half rebounds per game, and both the guys as big men are versatile and give out 5.2 assists per game. They both shoot threes not necessarily well. That's why you've got Connor Asesian along with Chucky Upper. These two guys have been able to combine to shoot a little bit over 40% from three, 12.1 points per game out of both of these guys. And for Wisconsin, they shoot north of 39% from three-point range at home. That falls to nearly 32% on the road. And for Purdue, all of a sudden, they've been giving up some more points as Purdue had not allowed more than 70 points in a single game prior to going up against Indiana the first time around. They have now given up at least 70 points in three out of their last six games. It is a Purdue team that may play slow and controlled. They're in the bottom 50 in terms of total possessions per game. And Zach Eady should be able to win that battle down low. 22.3 points, 13 boards, 2.5 blocks per game. You've got Braden Smith, Fletcher Lawyer, both in the backcourt doing a nice job doling out the ball with a combined nearly 7 assists per game. Lawyer's able to give you 11.8 points on 33.5% three-point shooting. And Smith, he's able to do a good job shooting 40% from three, 9.5 points per game. And then from there, you got guys like Brandon Newman and Mason Gillis that don't give you a lot of scoring, five and a half, six or so points per game, but they all really know their role. And both of these teams have been able to do a nice job locking down on defense. Purdue's still number 40 in all of college basketball in terms of points allowed. 
on a per-possession basis. It's a Wisconsin team at 73rd, but because of their just super-duper slow tempo, they're able to do a nice job on that front. Now with Wisconsin, the reason why I can't take them outright is because I do have the fear that they're going to break some free throws in this game. They shoot 66.2% at the free throw line, but Purdue is going to have to try to take the ball away from Wisconsin team that ranks in the top five nationally. In terms of few its turnovers on a per-possession basis, in the end, I do think that Purdue gets their job done. I do not think that this is going to be a sexy game. I think that it's going to be a struggle for either team to get past 60 points. Um, I did set my total on 123, diving under with Purdue. Go ahead and make them a three-point favor. We've seen a lot of win but no cover in one to two possession games for Purdue on the road all season long. I think that this is going to fall into that vector. Did set Wisconsin as a three-point dog, so taking the points and taking a look at this total under. 755, 756 on the betting board. UC Davis is going to be playing us at UC Santa Barbara. The Gauchos are a favorite of a point, and your total, it is between 138.5 and 140. For UC Santa Barbara, I did set them as a favor of two and a half points. I'm going to be willing to lay the number for UC Santa Barbara. We've seen a massive fall off with their defense. The squad was ranked in the top 50 nationally in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis just three weeks ago. Ever since then, they have allowed 70-plus points in each of their last five games. Prior to that, they were really doing a nice job of bearing down and had a UC Davis team that all of a sudden has given up 66 points or fewer in three out of their last four games. For UC Davis, this is a team that's looking to play quite a bit more up-tempo, right around 50th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. Santa Barbara, they're a very low and slow team. They rank in the bottom 50 in terms of total possessions per game. And for UC Davis, defense has been able to come alive a little bit more for this bunch. Overall for the season, they're in the top 100 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and they only give up 3.1 points fewer per 100 possessions at home, so they've been able to do a lot of their damage on the road. For Santa Barbara, what's going to be key for them is holding up down low as you've got a UC Davis team that really rebounds by committee as you've got Elijah Pepper and Christian Inigwe combined for 11.7 rebounds per game. Inigwe, 12 points on 39% three-point shooting. Ty Johnson, 14.5 points, 2.3 assists, 1.8 steals. She's about 33% for three. And Elijah Pepper, one of the top scorers in all of college basketball. Month is 22 points per game, which is in the top 10 nationally. He also gives you 3.4 assists, seal and app per game. This guy has been very consistent as well as he has broken the 20-point plateau in every single one of the team's last nine games. Meanwhile, for UC Santa Barbara, it's been A.J. Mitchell has been the main scorer for this team with 15.5 points per game, but he only shoots about 27% from three. It's really been Miles North, who has a combo player at 6'10", that has been able to do a nice job from the outside, bearing 40% of his threes. He's able to give you 14 points per game. You've been able to have good contributions out of someone like Cole Anderson, who's shooting about 40% from three-point range, has been able to come alive a little bit more with his scoring down the stretch. Overall, for the season, seven points per contest, but six-plus points each of the last four games. I do think that Santa Barbara is going to be able to get a little bit more online with their defense just because it is a UC Davis team that is very top-heavy. Self Andre 3000 Kelly, who's been a little bit underachieving this year, 9.5 points, 6.5 rebounds per game. This guy last year at Cal was applying 13.5 points, 8.5 rebounds per game, but I do think that this is a good spot for Santa Barbara to be able to bounce back, and I do think that UC Davis is doing a solid job holding it down with their defense. I do think that Santa Barbara has just enough in the backcourt to be able to get this one to the window. I did set Santa Barbara as a 2.5 point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take them on the state line. So I told 138.5, so also diving under. 757-758 on the betting board. SMU is going to be playing us in Memphis. Memphis is a favorite of 8 points, and your total is 152.5 to 153. 
I set Memphis as a favorite of seven and a half points, so I'm going to be willing to take eight with SMU with Memphis. This team is just not playing the same defense that they have in past years under Penny Hardaway. Now for SMU, it certainly has been a touch-and-go team that is very top-heavy, but you do have two very good rebounders in F.E. Obadiji along Samuel Williamson. We'll be able to combine for about 20.6 points. 14.2 rebounds. You get nearly two steals per game out of these two guys. And then you've got Zarek Phelps along Zach Natal, who do a nice job of being able to generate offense. Phelps, 17.5 points, 3.2 assists, 2.4 steals on 33% three-point shooting. And Natal is able to give you 13 points to steal per contest. SMU only shooting about 31.5% from three-point range. But take a look at this Memphis bunch, and you'd expect them to be doing a little bit better than being outside of the top 75 in terms of points slot on a per-possession basis. And they do give up about 7.6 points more per one hour possessions when they leave home. Meanwhile, SMU gets a nice boost when they're at home. They are giving up 12.5 points fewer per one hour possessions when they're at home. Now, they need to get a little bit more out of some of these ancillary pieces as they only get right around four points per game out of guys like a Jalen Smith. But take a look at this Memphis team, and they've been a little bit banged up as well as Keandre Kennedy is now out for the season. That has been a big killer for the team. Alex Lomax has come back, and he's been able to do a really good job with this defense. 2.6 steals per game, so that's big in helping out Kendrick Davis, who's really doing it all in the backcourt. 5.5 assists, 21 points per game. For a Memphis team that only shoot about 34% from three, Memphis, a top 15 team in terms of possessions per game. SMU is in the top 80 as well. DeAndre Williams, good versatility, 17.5 points, 9.5 boards. Shoots nearly 40% from three, but... I mean, with having Kennedy out of the fold, you've got one other guy that gives you at least four rebounds per game in Elijah McCaden, who gives you eight points, four boards per contest. It's a Memphis team that feels like they're very, very top-heavy, much like SMU. And SMU has been able to play some more respectable basketball recently. It's a defense that has been able to shape up, giving up 71 points or fewer in regulation because they had that double overtime game against Wichita State in four out of the last five games. So I do think that SMU is going to be able to hold up on their own floor. I did set this total at 151.5. Here at 153, I'm going to be willing to go under. I do think that having Keandre Kennedy on the fold is going to be negatively affecting this Memphis offense. I do think that SMU is going to be able to hold up in a game where it's going to be rather up-tempo, but I do think that there's going to be a lot of dead possessions on both sides. I'm going to be willing to take the points with SMU and the total under. So 59-760 is a canceled game between Cal Poly and UC San Diego. I've yet to research why it's canceled, but I really don't care because there's no money to be made. As they always say, don't cry over spoiled milk. So we move on. 761-762 on the betting board. UC Irvine is hard to face off against UC Riverside. Riverside is a 1.5 to a 2-point favorite in your total. It is between 146 and 146 half. I did set my total at a 138, but I made Irvine the 2-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take them outright on the money line. It's a UC Irvine team that we do say zot zot for the Anteaters and our good friend Ian McMillan, but they go up against a Riverside team that they just haven't necessarily impressed me with much other than Zion Pullen. Zion Pullen is pulling in the buckets, and this guy has been awesome. He's been able to supply about 17.8 points per game. He gives you a 4.2 assist, shoots 39% from three-point range, but really other than Zion Pullen, you've got a Riverside team that's just a bunch of misfit parts. You've got some like Flynn Cameron, Lachlan Albright. These two guys have been able to combine for about 24 points, 11.5 rebounds. 
Flynn Cameron does shoot 41% from three for a Riverside team that all in all, they shoot 36% from three. And a pair of teams that are playing at a middle-ish tempo. Irvine, 119th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. Riverside, 179th. But we have noticed that both of these teams have been throttling down a little bit more in conference play. But Riverside, this used to be a really good defensive team. They're shelved themselves on that side of things this year. 153rd in the country. There's points a lot on a per-possession basis. And for UC Irvine, they are 69th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but they're giving up 2.5 points fewer per 100 possessions in a roadside shoot record environment, and they're a top 30 team in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis when they leave home. I think that that's going to be very big because you've got an Irvine team that has two primary rebounders and Bent Lutkin along with Devin Tills. Both of these guys combine for about 12 rebounds in the neighborhood of about 17 points per game, and they both shoot it well from three-point range. As a matter of fact, each of your top four scorers for UC Irvine should at least 36.7% from three-point range. Tills and Lutkin are both in the fold, but you've got Dawson Baker along DJ Turnit up Davis combining for 31 points. They've been able to do a good job bombing it from three-point range. Irvine, despite their slightly up-tempo style, they don't turn the ball over a lot because they've got a guy in Pierre Cockrell whose main job is to facilitate. He's actually got more assists per game, 5.1 than points in five, but only turns the ball over two times for contest. Being able to get nice ancillary contributions out of a guy like an Andre Henry, I do think that that'll be enough for UC Irvine to be able to keep things relatively low scoring and to be able to get this one to the window. It is an Irvine team that had a really big collapse against UC Davis where they gave up 99 points in that game. That has completely skewed their numbers. Meanwhile, you've got a Riverside team that last time they played against UC Irvine, they lost that game 83-64. to In that game, Irvine was able to shoot north of 50% from three, 56.5% overall from the floor. I do think that they're going to do a little bit of a better job with their defense, but I do think that Irvine, much like they did the first time around, they are going to be able to win that turnover battle, stay disciplined, and be able to get this one to the window that way. So I'm going to be taking Irvine outright. The money line set them as a two-point favorite. Do think that the shooting is going to be a little bit colder this time around. Semi-total at a 138, so also diving under 763, 764 on the betting board. CSUN, a.k.a. Cal State Northridge, is going to be playing us to Hawaii. Hawaii is a 7.5 to an 8-point road favorite with your total between 126.5 and 127. And for Hawaii, I did set them as a favorite of 7.5 points. Here at 8, it is my buy point on Cal State Northridge. Now, with Hawaii, this team has been magnificent with their defense. They are a top 30 team in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. And for Hawaii, they've been doing much of this recently without having Bernardo da Silva in the full. Bernardo da Silva one of their top rebounders who's been able to give the team 9.8 points, 6.8 rebounds per game. But they bring in a giant of the earth in more sec, who is seven foot one, and sec has not sucked. As in the last few games, he's been seeing a big increase in minutes. As a matter of fact, he saw 29 minutes in the most recent game against UC Irvine, and he had 14 points, four blocks, and 16 rebounds per game. So I do think that that actually improves Hawaii's defense. It also does cause Hawaii to be a little bit more dysfunctional on offense as well. It is a Hawaii team that has scored 61 points of fear in three of their last five games. It's also a Hawaii team that last time they gave up north of 67 points in a game, you have to go all the way back to February 2nd. This team has been just absolutely pounding teams into oblivion. They've given up north of 70 points in regulation just twice in their last 15 games. And you've got a CSUN team that has been one of the most pathetic offenses in all of college basketball for CSUN. Give a little bit of credit to the fact that they have been able to break the 70-point plateau in two out of their last three games. But, I mean, they have really been stuck in the mud, shooting about 32.5% from three-point range, eight and right, 
be able to give you 16 and a half points. Does shoot 33% from three-point range, but don't have a lot of rebounding with this team as you've had Deshaun Ellen Eikens along Federique Okereke, who will be able to combine for a little bit over 10 rebounds per game. Onai Osi has only been able to give you four boards. He's fallen out of favor with this team. Deontay Bosick, he's able to give you two and a half assists per game, but you don't have a lot of facilitation for a CSUN team that is one of the slowest in all of college basketball among your 363 D1 teams. Northridge is in the bottom 50 in terms of total possessions per game. But for CSUN, they've been able to do a little bit of a better job with their defense. And this is a Hawaii team that traveling away from the island, that's always relatively tough for them. Now with Northridge, it's all about trying to be able to get their tempo. They're 268th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. But going up against a Hawaii team that will gladly oblige with that tempo, I do think is very solid. And take a look at what happened the first time these two teams played. CSUN was able to hold in there. That was a 58-51 to 51 game. Hawaii did get up in that game by a count of 38-18 to 18 very early on, but CSUN was able to claw their way back, winning the turnover battle 11-8. They lost the rebound battle on that one. I do think that they're going to do so once again, but I do think that this is going to be a rock fight, a complete slog with having De Silva on the full. It does affect this Hawaii offense, but it does make their defense rock solid. I set my total 125 and a half, diving under, and I'm going to be willing to take eight with Cal State Northridge. 765, 766 on the betting board. Long Beach State plays us to Cal State Bakersfield. Meet me for the Roadrunners who find themselves as 11 to 11 and a half point underdogs in your total as between 141 and 141 and a half. With Bakersfield, I did set them as an underdog of 11.5 points. So here at 11, Max, I'm willing to lay with Long Beach State, but I'm going to be willing to lay Long Beach State, a top 25 team in the country in terms of total possessions per game. Cal State Bakersfield, well, they are not a top 30 team with this regard. As a matter of fact, Bakersfield, 348th in the country with this respect. But you do take a look at this Bakersfield team, and they're going to be having to lock down a Long Beach State bunch that has the Trayers in Lasani and Abadou Trayer. They combine for 19 rebounds and 22.5 points per game. Now, top scorer and Joel Murray saw the full for Long Beach State, and Long Beach State has been dreadful with their three-point shooting, 29.6% three-point shooting team. They do turn the ball over right around 14 times for contests, and for Bakersfield, credit where credit is due, as Ontavion Calm has come in, and he has been a nice contributor for the team. Began his career at Ole Miss, and he's been able to give the team double figures in all but one of the team's last 12 games. Problem is, he just doesn't have a lot around him right now, and Kelsey Bakersfield plays as a very slow team. Modestus Conclaris was the top rebounder for the team. He's currently out of the fold. You take a look at this Bakersfield team, and they have been able to get to at least 66 points. It doesn't sound like much, but they've been able to do that in four of their last five games, but they're playing against, shall we say, spotty competition, and for Long Beach State, they've been able to do a little bit of a better job with their ref- defense. They've given up 70 points or fewer in three out of their last five games, including holding Bakersfield last time around to 69 points. That was a 79-69 to 69 game, and you saw Long Beach State go 25 of 31 at the free throw line and 4 of 10 from 3. I don't think that's going to be duplicating itself. I also don't think we're going to see 16 turnovers apiece in this game. I do think that it's going to be a little bit of a sloppier game, but I do think that Long Beach State is going to be able to get a little bit more of their tempo. Long Beach State has been able to do a really good job of making things all sorts of harebrained all season long. It is a Bakersfield team that is starting to ascend a little bit more with their offense. They've been able to have Cameron Smith give you five and a half rebounds per game as well. But for Long Beach Shade, I think that they're going to be able to maul down low. And for Long Beach Shade, they are getting more pieces back in the fold as Jaden Jones has been dealing with an injury. He's been returning in recent games in the backcourt, played 16 minutes in their most recent game against UC Santa Barbara. And he's been a guy that has been able to give the team about eight and a half points per game. So 
a circumstance where I did set my total on 143 and a half, going over and with Long Beach State, made them an 11 and a half point favorite, so one to lay 11 with them. 767, 768 on the bank board. USC is going to be playing us Arizona. Arizona is a one to a one and a half point favorite, and your total is between 154 and a half and 156. And for Arizona, I did set them as a favorite of four and a half points. I'm going to be one to lay this very, very small number. Arizona should be able to ball down low. We were talking about this with Curtis Rogers, the fact that Umar Balo has been dealing with a little bit of an injury, but I do expect him to play in this game as he, along with Azula Sabellas, have been tremendous down low. A combined 17.9 rebounds per game. Balo, more of your rim protector, 1.3 blocks, 14 points per game. Altubelis, he supplies 19.5 points, shoots 35% from three-point range. And then you've got Pelle Larson, Courtney Ramey, Kirk Adisa. Between these three guys, a combined 31.5 points per game. Kreese and Ramey combined to shoot 39% from three. Kreese of 5.5 assists per game. Ramey about 3.5 assists per contest. And that's something that USC just can't match up with now. For Vincent Iwachuku, getting him back in the fold and getting him to fire on all cylinders. Very big for this USC team. He's made by have a combined 7 blocks in the last five games. Hasn't really done a lot offensively. Only about 6 points per game, but... He frees up other guys to be able to supply offense, like Drew Peterson and Boogie Ellis in the backcourt. These guys have been boogieing their way to right around 33 points per contest. Peterson, he shoots about 37.5% for three. Ellis more around 38.5% from the outside. They combine for two and a half seals. Peterson is able to give you about 6.4 boards per contest, and it's really the only guy in the roster that gives you 5.2 rebounds per game. This despite the fact that USC is a top 20 team in the country in terms of opponents' two-point shooting percentage, and USC is 36th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. They do have Joshua Morgan, who does a great job of being able to supply blocks down low, combined six blocks in the last two games. Overall for the season, 4.8 boards, 2.3 blocks per contest, and Trey White is able to give you nine points, 5.2 rebounds per game. Now, the last time these two teams hooked up, if they did have Iwuchuku out there, it was on a very limited basis, but Arizona was able to get it done by a count of 81-66 to 66 in that game. USC was just giving up the arc left and right as Arizona won 12-24 from three-point range. But Arizona won that game by 15 despite losing the turnover battle 18-12. to 12. USC is actually the team that has a little bit of a tough time holding on to the ball. I do think that Arizona cleans that up a little bit more. I think that they go on the road, they get the job done in a game that's going to be relatively similar scoring to what we saw the first time around. I recognize that USC has been able to get going with their offense quite a bit more, but Arizona has been a top 25 team in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis since the turn of the calendar. So I said by total at a 152.5, diving under with Arizona. Made them a 4.5 point favorite, so one lay the small number and taking a look at this total under 769, 770 on the betting board. Washington plays also Washington State. Washington State is a 1-1.5 to point favorite in your total. It is 133 to 133.5. I said Washington State is a two-point favorite. Not willing to lay anything more than the 1.5, but I'm going to be willing to lay the 1.5. It's a Washington State team that, despite the fact that they're just 15 of 15, this team has been very feisty. DJ Bamba, along with Mo Gay, have been able to combine for 29.3 points per contest. Gay is going to be the best rebounder in this game. 8.5 rebounds per game. Flip side, Braxton Maya for Washington State. At 7'1", has been rock solid. 7 boards, 9 points per game. He's able to give you 1.7 Blocks per contest as well. And then Keon Brooks, I like his overall game. 17.5 points, 7 boards. But Washington has been a rough three-point shooting team. Now, what I will say for Washington is that they're one of the best teams in all of college basketball in terms of being able to guard the three-point arc. And you've got a battle of tempos here as Washington is 81st in the country in terms of total possessions per game. Washington State 
344th in the country in terms of total possessions per game, but I do think that Washington State is going to be able to do just a little bit more because they've got more depth. Someone like DJ Rodman being able to give you 9 points, 5.5 boards per contest. Jay Mullins shooting 41% from 3. He gives you about 8.5 points per game. That's rock solid. Washington State does turn the ball over 12 times per contest, but Washington turns it over 14.3 times per game. Washington only shooting 31% for three key on Menafield. It's come alive, 2.9 assists, 10 points per contest, like what I've seen out of him. But the Washington State transfer in Noah Williams, he's been in and out of the fold. He's back on the shelf for Washington. It's been a really rough state of affairs for this Washington team as the offense just has not been able to get going. In regulation, they have scored 69 points or fear in each of their last five games. And last time these two teams played, Washington State won a 56-51 of drag them out slobber knocker in a game that Washington State shot just 8 of 30 from three-point range on. I do think that Washington State going to be able to get it done in this ordeal. Washington State coming in with some confidence, having won now five straight games. I set Washington State as a two-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. I think you get both teams to be able to get past 56 points in this game, but I think you're in for another low-scoring slog. Some I tell 128 diving under and taking Washington State on the tape line. 771, 772 on the betting board. Oregon is going to be playing out to Cal. Cal is a 19 to a 20-point underdog. And your total is anywhere between 129 and a half and 130 and a half. I can't disagree with this. I said Oregon as a 20.5-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. For Cal, you just have no semblance of a backcourt whatsoever. Devin Diskew is done for the year. He was the top scorer for this team. You've had Dewan Clayton just be out with injury. So that means that Kune Kune and Lars Seaman, who have been able to combine for about 9.5 rebounds and 19 points per game. They're your main guys, says Cal, despite being a bottom 35 team in terms of possessions per game. They shoot 39% from the floor. 30% from three with 13 turnovers per game with nobody other than Thyman giving you north of four rebounds per game. You've got no sort of leadership whatsoever for this team. Meanwhile, you've got an Oregon team that I recognize that they've had a tough time holding under the ball 12.7 turnovers per game despite the fact that they're right around 250th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. And you only have one guy for Oregon that gives you north of five rebounds per game and Folly Dante, 13.8 rebounds per game. But guys like Nate Biddle, Quincy Garrier, Khalil Ware, they're able to do a good job down low. Will Richardson needs to clean up the 3.2 turnovers per game, but so has been able to supply the same with 13 points per game. Jermaine Kuznard gives you 13 points. shoots 35.5% from three-point range. The last time Oregon played against Cal, and I believe that Cal was even healthier at the time. This was in mid to late January. That was an 87 to 58 bludgeoning in which Oregon was able to shoot nearly 60% from the floor. I don't think that Oregon is going to shoot quite that hot from the floor, but what I do think is going to happen is that they're going to hold Cal to 60 once again, as Cal has not been able to do anything with their offense. Cal is 273rd in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis as well, and I mean, for this Cal team, they did not exceed 62 points in the month of February, and I'm not even kidding when I say that. This is a Cal bunch that has scored 62 points or fewer, and now each other last 11 games, I think that they're going to be held right around 55, probably even less in this game. Semi-line at 20 and a half. I'm willing to lay with Oregon. Semi-total 126 halves, also diving under. Now we go to the Sun Belt Tournament that's in Pensacola, Florida, 773-774. South Alabama and Appalachian State do battle on a neutral court with South Alabama. Being a 3-3.5 to three and a half point favorite with your total 130. Set South Alabama as a 4-point favorite. I am going to be willing to lay the 3. South Alabama, I think, is going to be able to win from within. You've got Kevin Samuel has been able to do an amazing job down low with 10 points, right around 9 rebounds. Chips in their 2.5 blocks per game and South Alabama. 
has really been able to ascend with their defense. And really, both of these teams have been pretty rock solid with their defense. Appalachian State, 100th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. South Alabama, 84th in the country. And South Alabama does see a rise with regards to their defense, giving up right around 10.8 points more per one on possessions when they do leave home. But for Appalachian State, this is just not a great three-point shooting team. They shoot about 33.5% from the outside, 68% free line. They do a good job taking care of the ball. They do the little things. Donovan Gregory, although Tyree Boykin, I've been able to combine for 23 points per contest. Gregory, 1.7 steals, 4.3 assists per contest. And it is an Appalachian State team that has been able to get good balanced contributions out of guys like a C.J. Hundley, a Justin Abson, who have both been able to give you about 5.5 rebounds per game. But for South Alabama, you've also got someone like an Owen White, 8.5 points, shooting 39.5% from 3 points. South Alabama, very disciplined team, just 10 turnovers per game. Both of these teams outside the top 250 in terms of total possessions per game. Yet South Alabama has been able to get to at least 76 points in 4 out of their last 5 games. Defense has really been able to hold up. They did have that rough go of it against Louisiana, but that was the only game in the month of February in which they allowed north of 67 points. So they've done a nice job on that front. It's an Appalachian State team that has been a little bit touch and go with their offense, but they've been able to get past 70 points in two out of their last four games. I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a lower scoring slobber knocker. Seven total, 128, diving under. I think South Alabama wins from within. Set them as a four point favorite, one delay. This small number, 775, 776 on the betting board. Troy is going to be playing against Arkansas State. Arkansas State is an 8 to an 8.5 point underdog with their total 133.5 to 134. I made Troy nine and a half point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay it with the Trojans. Arkansas State has been a bottom 30 team in terms of total possessions per game, yet they don't do anywhere near as good of a job on defense as Troy. Arkansas State, 270th in the country. In terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, Troy is 75th, and Troy is giving up to 0.9 points more per 100 possessions when they leave home. So they've been good in adverse situations. Now, Omar el has been able to do a good job down low for this bunch in Arkansas State, 11.5 points, 9.5 boards, and then you've been able to get about 41% three-point shooting, 10.5 points of Terrence Ford Jr. as Marquise Javis along with Avery Phelps. They've been able to do a good job chipping in there. Two steals, about 17.5 points per game. Phelps to be able to shoot 39.5% from three-point range. But Malcolm Farrington, main three-point shooter, being out of the full dirts. Caleb Fields does give you 4.7 assists per game, but unable to shoot it from three-point range. Troy does a good job of wrestling the ball away. Eight and a half steals per game as each out of your top three scores who give you north of a seal per contest, including your main rebounder, Zay Williams, 12.7 boards per contest. I do think that he loses this battle a little bit down low to Ellis Sheik, but Christian Eugene shooting 40% for three with 11.8 points per game is big, and nobody on Arkansas State can match up with Nelson Phillips. Good versatility, 11 points, four and a half boards, two assists, two steals. I absolutely love what he's able to bring to the table. Troy is just so loaded with their guard play. They do such a good job of being able to have balance when they went on the road against Arkansas State a few weeks ago. They won that game by kind of 67 to 62, a game in which it was very slow, very controlled. Troy actually lost the turnover battle in that game, but they were able to win the rebound battle. I do think that they're going to be able to do the same. I do think that Amir Mohammed, who had 16 points first time around, is going to have himself another big game. He's had 10 plus points in three of the last four games. It's really be able to ascend for a Troy team that does a dominant job with their defense going up against an Arkansas State team that has won the slowest in all of college basketball. Semi total 130 and a half diving under. And with Troy, willing to lay up to nine with them. 777, 778 on the betting board. Old Dominion takes on Texas State out there in Pensacola with Old Dominion being a favorite of three and a half points. And your total, it is between 132 and 132 and a half. 
I said Old Dominion as a four-point favorite. I'm going to take another favorite here. I'm going to be one to lay it with Old Dominion with Texas State. They just need to get more out of guys not named Mason Harrell, who's been terrific. 16 points, two and a half assists per game. She's 33% from three-point range, but they now go up against an Old Dominion team that is going to be looking to play at the same tempo as them. Both of these teams outside the top 280 in terms of total possessions per game, and Old Dominion just plays her style a little bit better than Texas State. Old Dominion, 105th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Texas State is 243rd. What I will say for Texas State is that they give up 3.3 points fewer per 100 possessions when they leave home, and down low, you do have a pair of guys in Nigel Caesar and Tyrell Morgan who have been able to combine for about 12.3 rebounds per game, and about 9 to 10 points per game individually for both of these guys. But Drew Dryden, 7 points, 37.5%, 3-point shooting. You need him to be a little bit more assertive for this team. Meanwhile, for Old Dominion, Makai Long is the most versatile player out there on the floor. 11 points, 8.5 boards, ceiling half per game. Shoots 37% from 3. Old Dominion as a whole, they only shoot about 32% from 3, but they only turn the ball over 11 times per game as well. As Tyrell Scott Grayson, along with Chauncey Jenkins, have been very tremendous in the backcourt. A combined 27.4 points. Five and a half assists. Jenkins shoots 37.5% from three-point range. You've been able to get about six points, 5.8 boards of Dorico Williams as well. I think that Old Dominion is going to be a matchup with Texas State down low. It's a Texas State defense that all of a sudden has had issues. 75-plus points surrendered in each of the last five games, despite the fact that this is a team that ranks in the bottom 50 in terms of total possessions per game. Meanwhile, Old Dominion has been absolutely tremendous with their defense. They have allowed fewer than 68 points. And now five out of their last six games. Last time these two teams match up, Old Dominion went on the road. Won that game by a count of 70 to 68, even with Texas State going an uncharacteristic 6 of 13 from three-point range. They were able to do a solid job of being able to play even up with regards to turnovers. They just executed a little bit better. And I do think that Old Dominion has more depth. And I do think that Texas State is going to be a little bit cooler with their three-point chain. And Old Dominion going to be able to dictate things with their defense. So by total of 126, diving under with Old Dominion made them a four-point favorite. So I'm going to be willing to lay this ball number. 779, 780 on the betting board. Georgia Southern is going to be playing against Louisiana Monroe. Monroe is a four-and-a-half to a five-point underdog with your total 132. I said Georgia Southern has a five-and-a-half point favor. It looks like I'm sweeping the board on favorites. I'm going to be willing to lay the number with Georgia Southern. Georgia Southern has really been able to emerge here in the back half of the season and they should be able to dominate down low with Andre Seversoff along Carlos Curry combining for about 14.5 rebounds per game. Seversoff 14.3 points per game. Shoots 35.5% from three and then Jalen Finch. He shoots 37.5% from the outside. 10.5 points per game. Georgia Southern not necessarily supreme with their defense but for Louisiana Monroe in late January they were looking like a really good defense, and then things just went completely down the toilet pole. Louisiana Monroe, now 261st in the country. In terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, they've given up 76-plus points in four of their last five games. In regulation, they have scored fewer than 70 points in each of their last five. This team comes in riding a seven-game losing streak. Tariq LaCour along Jabari Blackman have been able to do a solid job in the backcourt. For Louisiana Monroe, a combined 27.4 points per game, and they both shoot about 38% from three. All in all, Monroe does shoot a little bit over 35% from three-point range, but Georgia Southern has so many guys in the backcourt, like a Tyron Moore, a Caden Archie, that do a good job of being able to defend along the perimeter. I do think that it's a Georgia Southern team that just has a little bit more depth in general in the backcourt. Someone like Ty Strickland being able to come in and give you seven points per game is big. Victor Bafuto, as we will give this Monroe team right around two blocks per contest, and Thomas Howell. Good versatility out of him. Nine and a half points, eight boards at six foot eight. 
He's been able to shoot about 37.5% from three-point range, but 10 points or fewer in four of the last five games. He has not been clicking at all cylinders. This Monroe team in general has been going straight down the toilet bowl, so it is a circumstance where I did set Georgia Southern as a favorite of 5.5 points. I'm going to be one to lay the number, and I did set my total 130.5. Also going to be taking a look at this total under. How about if we go to the Missouri Valley Conference? This is going to be out there in St. Louis, Missouri. 781-782 on the betting board. Northern Iowa plays us at Illinois State. Illinois State is a three-and-a-half point underdog with your total between 135 and a half and 136. Said Northern Iowa is a four-point favorite. Three-and-a-half is the absolute max that I'm going to lay with Northern Iowa. Northern Iowa has been a relatively mid-tempo team going up against an Illinois State team as more around 250th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. Reason why I do like this total under Illinois State. 14 and a half turnovers per game. They don't have a main facilitator as you do have a quadrant of guys. Darius Burford, Kendall Lewis, Seneca Knight, Loth Malachi Poindexter. Between this quadrant of guys, you've been able to get in the neighborhood of about 35 points per contest. Knight and Lewis have been able to combine for a little bit over 13 rebounds per game. And Knight does shoot 38.5% from three. Malachi Poindexter and Luke Kazabuke have both been able to shoot about 37.5% from the outside. But other than Nate and Lewis, you don't have a single guy in the roster that gives you north of four rebounds per game. And that mass effect that Northern Iowa is a pretty top-heavy team as well. Tayton Anderson, 12.5 points, 8.8 rebounds per game. He's been able to do a rock-solid job down low. And then Bowen Bourne has had to lead the offense in terms of scoring with 17 points, 2.5 assists. Shoots 36.5% from three-point range. But now they've been able to get a little bit more on something like a Michael Duax with 10 points, 4.5 rebounds per game. I like the way that Trey Campbell has been able to come along for the ride as well. He's coming off of... Eight rebounds in the team's previous game as well. He shoots 34% from three-point range. Northern Iowa just has a little bit more versatility in the spot. With Illinois State, they come in in rough form with their offense. 64 points or fewer in two of their last three games. Not Northern Iowa team that they got beaten up on defense, giving up 80-plus points in four of their last five games. But you really have to know the setting of the Enterprise Center. This is one of the worst shooting backdrops that you are going to find for a conference tournament. It feels like the rims are just really hard. The Missouri Valley Conference has been infamous for unders. I do think that a jump shooting team like Illinois State is going to struggle in this spot. Meanwhile, Northern Iowa has more ways to be able to get to the basket. So I did set Northern Iowa as a four-point favorite. I'm going to be one to lay the three and a half and going to be taking a look at an under. Somebody told 134 and a half. We go 783-784 on the betting board. Evansville is going to be playing against Indiana State. Indiana State is a 17-point favorite in your total. And between 145 and 145 and a half, Hey, we've got it over. I said my total at 145.5 because with Indiana State, they're not necessarily much of a team that relies upon three-point shooting. Now, with Indiana State, this is a team that they really do get after you on defense. They're a top 75 team in terms of total possessions per game, in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Indiana State is 56th in the country, but for Evansville, they have just been absolutely brutal with their defense, especially inside. Evansville, 295th in the country, in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. For Evansville, Kenny Strawbridge has been able to give you 14.5 points, 3.5 boards, but for Evansville, they also shoot 39.9% from the floor, 32% from three-point range, and I just don't think that there's any slowing down the Sycamores right now. It's an Indiana State team that has gotten to at least 79 points in four other last five games. And for Indiana State, they got held below 79 points once in their last nine games of the regular season. It's been absolutely remarkable to take a look at them. Meanwhile, Evansville, 63 points or fewer in four of their last five games, but they've also given up at least 72 points in each of their last four games. Evansville has down low Yassid Tumani, 
who's been able to give you about five and a half rebounds per game. And for Indiana State, just very much a whole is greater than the sum of its parts approach. Kavisi or McCauley is your main guy. 16 and a half points, five and a half boards. CO per game shoots 38% from three-point range. You've been able to get 48% three-point shooting, three and a half assists, seven points per game out of Julian Larry as well. I do like what he's able to bring to the table. And then Robbie Avila, Cam Henry, Cooper Nice all give you between 10 and 10.6 points per game. They all give you between 3.9 and 4.6 rebounds per game. Indiana State, just a really good collective that's able to fire on all cylinders. They run it. They gun it. Evansville, a mid-tempo team that just can't guard to save their lives. I did set my total at a 145.5, taking the 145 over with Indiana State. Made them a 17-point favorite. This team has been cutting through opponents like a hot knife through butter. Indiana State this year, 19-11 against the spread. Evansville, 9-20-2 against the spread. I think that that maintains. Looking at the over, and I'm going to be willing to lay with Indiana State. 785-786 on the ready board. Valparaiso hits the road face-off against Murray State. Murray State is a favorite of 2.5 points in your total. It is between 142 and 144. Semi-line at three. Two and a half is the max I'm willing to lay with Murray State, but I'm going to be willing to lay it. You have to go back to, well, a few days ago for the last time these two teams played. That was an overtime loss for Valparaiso, 77-76 on the home floor of Murray State. Valparaiso went just 6 of 23 from three-point range, but won the turnover battle, lost the rebound battle by three, and typically you'd think that the three-point shooting would get a little bit hotter. Not with this Valparaiso team. They shoot about 30.4% from three-point range. Ben Cricky, Kobe King, they have to do everything for the team. They combine for 36 points, 9.9 rebounds, 3.7 assists per contest, while both combine to shoot about 25% from three. Nick Edwards does give you five assists, one and a half steals per game, but for Valparaiso, it's just been a relatively grody team. Valparaiso has actually really kicked up their tempo this season as well with Valparaiso. They are now about 122nd in the country in terms of total possessions brain. For Murray State, this has been a bottom 75 team in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. They're more on 220th in the country in terms of total possessions. Meanwhile, you do have a Valparaiso team that they're more on 250th in the country as well in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. So it's a good old situation of something's got to give, but if you take a look at the last time these two teams played, that game was 65-65 to going into overtime, but I do think that Murray State just has a little bit more in this spot. Among their top four scores, all of them give you at least 4.3 rebounds per game, including Mr. Jacoby Wood filling up the stat sheet, 10.5 points, 4.3 boards, 4.5 assists, only shoots about 34% from three, and then you've got Rob Perry giving you 14 points. He makes 35% of his threes. You've been able to get 6.5 boards, 9 points per game out of DJ turning up Burns. You should be able to win the battle down low with Jerome Palm of Valparaiso just dealing with injury. He was able to get back out there on the floor against Murray State, but was limited to just four minutes, and I do think that that's a big reason why Murray State is going to be able to get the job done. I think that they win from within, and I do think that this is going to mirror what we saw the first time around. These are two bad jump-shooting teams going into a place that does not reward teams like Murray State and Valparaiso whatsoever with points. I set my total at 139, diving under, and with Murray State, I made them a three-point favorite. One to lay the two and a half, 787, 788 on the betting board. You've got UIC in the road face off against Missouri State. Missouri State is a favorite of eight points. And I'm seeing three eight and a half out there as well. Total setting between 131 and a half and 132.5. Set my line at eight and a half. Boy, I'm taking a lot of favorites, but I'm gonna be willing to lay it with Missouri State. We've got a UIC team has been absolutely dreadful in conference play with their defense. Out of conference, they were a team that ranked in the top 125 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. In terms of since the calendar turn, this has been a bottom one our team in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. UIC overall for the season, 171st. Meanwhile, you've got a Missouri State team that ranks in the bottom. 
bottom 35 in terms of total possessions per game. Missouri State has done a nice job of being able to bear down with their defense as they're clocking in right around 115th of the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, and you've got good versatility with Missouri State. Donovan Clay, who's a six foot eight, little bit of a combo player, gives you 12 points, five and a half boards, three and a half assists per game, chance more, has been able to give you more with 11 points per game. Missouri State as a whole, they shoot 33% from three, and if you do have trepidation with this team, they shoot about 63%. The charity's right, but. Jonathan Mogbo, his seven rebounds per game should be a matchup with Toby Okani, who for UIC gives you 11.7 boards as a six foot eight combo player. Brings about 31% of his series, but he's fallen completely off the map. Okani, 10 points or fewer in each of the last five games for UIC. It's a team as a whole. They shoot 33% for three. They turn the ball over 13 times for contest. You've got Jace Carter who's been able to give you about seven boards, 16 and a half points per game. But for UIC, among their top seven scores, one guy shoots above 32.5%. From three-point range, it's a UIC team that has just been really miring in mediocrity recently for UIC. The offense has been able to get going a little bit more. They've gotten to at least 70 points and now five out of their last seven games. But at the same time, it is a UIC team that with the offensive improvements, the struggles on defense have very much taken hold. And with Missouri State, them playing at such a slow rate and this just being a place that in general does not allow shots to fall. I do think they're going to get a little bit of a lower scoring slog. So my total at 129.5, I'm going to be willing to dive under. You've got a Missouri State team that has held up with their defense. They allowed 70 points or fewer in all but one of their games last month, so I do think that they're going to be able to hold up once again, looking at the under, and willing to lay up to 8 with Missouri State, 789, 790 on the betting board. Northern Kentucky is going to be playing us to Oakland. Oakland is a 8.5 to a 9-point underdog, with your total between 133.5 and 134.5. I did set Northern Kentucky as a 7-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take the points with Oakland. Oakland has been all over the place with their defense. Bottom 35 team in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and they're going up against the Northern Kentucky team as they able to do a nice job locking down with their defense. They're about one or fourth in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but Northern Kentucky is also a bottom 50 team in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage. Oakland is as well, and Northern Kentucky does have Marquise Warwick, who's able to give you 19 points, three assists per contest, shooting about 38.5% from three-point range, but... I do take a look at this matchup, and I do think that Oakland is going to be a bold in there. As a matter of fact, we saw this a few nights ago in Oakland, and the state of Michigan, Northern Kentucky won that game by a count of 78-69. to Northern Kentucky shot 15 of 26 from three, and even for this Oakland bad defense, that's not going to happen. Oakland lost that rebound battle by a count of 33 to 17 as well. Trey Townsend, Keen Harvey have been able to give you combined about 13 and a half rebounds per game. They should have a little bit of better showing in this one. Townsend has been able to shoot 37 and a half from three, 16 and a half points per game. Harvey shoots 40 percent from the outside, 11 and a half points per game. And for Oakland, they only turned the ball over 10.7 times for contest. Jalen Moore gives you more, five and a half assists, 19 and a half points per game. Not really too fond of our good friend Rocket Watts, but you do have on the flip side for Northern Kentucky, really one guy that rebounds in Chris Brandon, nine and a half boards, six and a half points per game. Nobody else gives you north of 4.1 rebounds per game, and that'd be Sam Vincent, who gives you two and a half seals, three assists, 11 and a half points. Very good versatility there. And Northern Kentucky as a whole, they shoot about 35.4% from three-point range. I think that things are going to be tamed down in terms of three-point shooting. Northern Kentucky, a super-duper slow team. And Oakland has honestly been a little bit better with their three-point shooting defense away from home. I did set my total 133, diving under, but... With Oakland, I think they hold in there. I do think that they do a better job on the glass. Set my line at 7, so take the points with Oakland, and I'm going to be taking a look at this total under 791, 792 on the betting board. Detroit, it's the road to face off against Youngstown State. 
The Penguins are an 8 to a 9 point favorite, and your total is between 156, seeing as I is a 157.5. And I did set my total at 155.5. I am going to be willing to dive under. Detroit all of a sudden has been able to play a little bit of defense. Detroit overall this season, a bottom 40 team in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. But you look at the way that they've been able to rein things in. They have given up fewer than 70 points in three out of their last four games. Youngstown State, a team that does rank outside the top 175 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis as well. And of note here, Antoine Davis, he needs, I believe, 26 points in order to pass Pistol Pete Maravich as the all-time scoring king. And with Detroit being a pretty sizable underdog, I think that this is probably going to be the last game of his career. I did set this line at a personally, and I am seeing this creep up to right around about an 8.5 to a 9 in a lot of spots, and I'm going to be willing to take those points with Detroit. But I do think that Antoine Davis does get that record. 28 points, 3.5 assists, just 42% from 3. I think that Antoine Davis can give you another 30 spot as you take a look at what Davis has been able to do. He's had at least 27 points in four of the last five games, 30-plus in four of those contests. I think that he's going to be able to duplicate that. You've also got Gerald Liddell down low. He's been able to give you 14.5 points, 9.5 boards, and then Demensi Anderson has done a nice job being a nice fourth spacer, 6 6 combo player that shoots 35% from three, 9.5 points per game. Flip side for Youngstown State. This team is one of the best three-point shooting teams. They're going to find at 37.8% from the outside. Dwayne Cowell, 18 points, 46.5% three-point shooter. Brandon Rush has been able to give you a steal, 14 points per game. And then got a pair of guys in Adrian Nelson along with Malik Green. We should be able to win the battle down low. Combined 16.4 rebounds out of these two guys who both give you between 13.5 and 14 points per game. A little bit of a top-heavy team, though. I do think that Detroit is going to be able to hold in there. I do think that Antoine Davis gets that record. And while Youngstown State has scored at least 78 points in four other last five games, Detroit is starting to lock down a little bit more with their defense. I set my total at 156. I'm going to be willing to dive under. And with this Detroit bunch, we'll take 8.5 or more with them as well. 793, 784 on the betting board. UW-Milwaukee is going to be playing us a right state. Right state hopes to be the right side as a two-point favorite. And your total then is between 156.5 and 158. I did say UW-Milwaukee as the one-and-a-half point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take them outright on the money line. It is a UW-Milwaukee team that ranks in the top 30 in terms of total possessions per game for that matter. Both of these teams rank in the top 30 in terms of total possessions per game. Right state, interestingly, has been better on the road than they have been at home with their defense, giving up five points fewer per one hour possessions when they've been away from home. Meanwhile, UW-Milwaukee, they're more around 185th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but UW-Milwaukee, good team rebounding. Each other top five scores give you at least 4.3 rebounds per game. B.J. Freeman has become that primary scorer. 17 points, five boards, three assists, shoots about 35% from three, but then yeah, Marquise Browning, who's been able to do a good job along with Kentra Pullian, will be able to combine for 21 points on 39% three-point shooting. And Armand Rand, 2.2 blocks per game. He's going to be the best rim protector in this contest. That has right state having Brandon Noel supply 13 points, nine boards, six foot eight combo player that gives you a block on 37.5% three-point shooting. Right state as well. They shoot 50% from the floor, 36% from the outside with Trey Calvin chipping in their 20 points per game. Tim Finke. Good versatility, six boards, eight points, four assists. So he's able to do a little bit of everything. And you've got Amari Davis, who began his career in the great state of Wisconsin over at UW-Green Bay. But I do think that for Wright State, they're going to run into some issues in this game. Last time these two teams played in Milwaukee, Wright State went in. They got a 78-74 to overtime win, a game of which you 
saw both of these teams shoot sub-25% from three-point range at home. UW-Milwaukee actually won the rebound battle. They won the turnover battle. They just couldn't get shots to fall. I do think that this is going to be a little bit different this time around, and I do think that Wright State has been a little bit fortunate with regards to their road defense. I do think that UW-Green Bay has just a few more pieces and a few more looks that they're able to present to Wright State. So I did set my line at 1.5. I'm going to be willing to take this all right on the money line. Wright State has been better with their defense when they've been on the road. UW-Milwaukee is a team that turns the ball over a little bit much, so I do think that this total is a touch high. Semi-total at 155.5 diving under, and I'm going to be willing to take the UW-Milwaukee all right on the money line. 785-786 on the betting board. Robert Morris hits the road face off against Cleveland State. Cleveland State opened up as a six-point favorite. We're seeing this move to five and a half, and your total is between 134.5 and 135. I was in agreement with that six-point opener. Now that we're moving down to five and a half, that'll put me on Cleveland State. I did set them as a six-point favorite. Cleveland State has been a top 50 team in terms of turnovers forced on a per-possession basis while they themselves only turned the ball over about 11 and a half times per game. Both of these teams relatively slow with their tempo. Robert Morris just below 250th in the country. In terms of total possessions per game, you've got a Cleveland State team that's 236th in the country with this regard as well. And for Cleveland State, they've been a little bit all over the place with regards to their defense. In terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, they are 137th, giving up barely a point less per 100 possessions at home rather than in a road-slash-shoot-record environment. Meanwhile, you've got a Robert Morris team that has ranked 128th with this regard as well. And Robert Morris should be able to do a solid job down low. Khalil Spears able to give you 13 points, 8 rebounds per game, but... Good team rebounding for Cleveland State. Three separate guys give you at least six rebounds per game. Tristan Iranuro, 15 points, six half boards, block per contest. Dave Williams, 11 points, six boards. And then you've also been able to get 6.2 boards, seven and a half points per game out of Deontay Johnson. Cleveland State, rough three-point shooting team. They only shoot about 30.6% from three-point range. Robert Morris does have Enoch Cheeks, who's been able to give you 13.5 points, 4.5 boards, 3.5 assists, shoots 36.5% from three. But Robert Morris, 13 turnovers per game. They shoot 33.5% from three. You've been able to get a very good facilitator and Michael Green going with about 4.2 assists per game, but not a lot of depth with Robert Morris. Cleveland State does a better job with their on-ball defense. It is a Robert Morris team that has given up 64 points or fewer. And now for their last five games, Cleveland State has been able to in a little bit more with their defense as well, 68 or fewer in three of the last four. And I do think that Cleveland State holds up at the point of attack in a game that's going to be nip and tuck, have a lot of late game falling. I think Robert Morris holds up with their defense, but I think that Cleveland State executes better and does a nice job on the glass as a committee. I set Cleveland State as a six-point favorite. Want to lay the five and a half, set my total 132, so diving under. Now we head out to Evansville, Indiana for the Ohio Valley Conference. 797, 798 on the betting board. Southeast Missouri State going up against Tennessee State. This is out in the Ohio Valley Conference Tournament. That is in Evansville, Indiana. Currently no numbers up on this game as Southeast Missouri State had to survive in advance. Last night to be able to get to this spot. And I set my line at Tennessee State being a three and a half point favorite. The last time these two teams matched up, you saw Tennessee State win that game by a count of 85 to 65, no doubt. I do think that it's going to be a little bit closer, but for Southeast Missouri State, they've been struggling down low ever since the loss of their main big man as Kobe Clark was averaging for the team right around 8.7 rebounds per game. He's done for the season. You still do have Philip Russell along with Chris Harris. These two guys have been able to combine for about 33 points per game. Russell is able to shoot about 35 and a half percent from three-point range, but now you're really looking to someone like a Dylan Branson who's been able to do a solid job giving you about four and a half rebounds per game and down the stretch has been able to provide five plus rebounds and now each of the last six games, including last night, but for Tennessee State, their main Achilles heel of not having a lot of rebounding that will not be unearthed in this game as you've had Zion Griffin along with Adang McCoy who have been able to combine for about ten and a half rebounds per game and then Junior Clay. Going to be 
the best player out there on the floor. Five and a half assists, steal and a half, 19 points per game, shoots in the mid 30s from three point range. Maybe got Marcus Fitzgerald Jr. 14 points per game, shoots about 36% from three point range. And now Christian Brown is back in the fold as well. 44% three point shooter for the season. When he's been healthy, he's been able to give you 12 points per game. Now that he is, I think that that's a big X factor for Tennessee State. Plus, you've got a Southeast Missouri State team that plays up tempo. They had to play last night. I do think that that's going to take it out of them a little bit. I do expect another up tempo game. This is a Southeast Missouri State team that ending the regular season, they had gotten to at least 78 points in each other previous four games. They got to 84 last night, so no reason to think that we're going to be getting some sort of low-scoring slog, especially with Tennessee State being a top 50 team in terms of total possessions per game as well. So I did set my total 155 and a half. 155 or less looking over, 156 or higher to the under, and Tennessee State won to lay up to three with them, four more taking the points with Southeast Missouri State. Now, I have to do this in advance, 799, 800 on the betting board, UT Martin. They're going to be going up against To Be Determined. They are going to be facing off against the winner of the Southern Indiana versus SIU Edwardsville game. This is one that is to be determined. If it is Southern Indiana, I probably would probably be setting them as about a one to a two point underdog. Same goes for SIU Edwardsville. You're looking at the same neighborhood in terms of both of these teams. They both be about one possession underdogs to UT Martin. The only difference will be the total with Southern Indiana. I'd be placing this total well north of about a 150, probably closer to about a 153, 154 with SIU Edwardsville. Probably in the very high 140s, 148-ish just because Edwardsville, they are a team that they play a little bit more slowly and you do have a UT Martin team that has to contend down low if they do face off against Southern Indiana with Jake Polakovich, who has been number three in the country in terms of rebounds per game. He's on the side of Southern Indiana. Southern Indiana also is one of the best three-point shooting teams at all of college basketball. They've been a disaster on defense. Meanwhile, you've got an SIU Edwardsville team that did come into the tournament. Losers of three out of their last four games, actually three out of their last five, so not so great there, but they are more around 150th in the country in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. You've got the Wright brothers and Shamar and Lamar Wright that do combine for about 18 points per game, but they really rely upon Rayshon Taylor with his 15.5 points per game to run the offense. Meanwhile, with UT Martin, you've got a big three. KJ Simon, Parker Stewart, along Jordan Sears. All three of these guys have been magnificent on offense, combining for about 45.5 points per game. Stewart and Simon combined for 9.5 boards, a little bit over 4.3 assists per game, and Stewart shoots 38% for three. Now, with this UT Martin team, regardless of who they go up against, they're going to be giving up points plenty because UT Martin, in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, not been so slightly. They're 14th of the country in terms of total possessions per game. So you're looking at a one possession game either way in my opinion. Probably setting this number with UT Martin being about a two or so point favorite. But I do need to see how the game from the previous night fares. But that's what I'd be looking at there. And if it is Southern Indiana, most likely placing this total right around about a like a 152-153 for SIU Edwardsville. Closer to about a 148-149-ish. So that's what I'm looking at on that front. Now we head to Lovey Las Vegas. Vegas for the West Coast Conference Tournament. 801-802 on the betting board. San Diego and Portland do battle from the Orleans Arena as Portland is a 4-4.5 to point favorite in your total. It is between 157.5 and 159.5. I did set Portland as a 4.5 point favorite. At 4, I'm going to be willing to lay the number. San Diego has just been an absolutely brutal defense all season long. Among your 363 D1 teams, San Diego's 359th. 
I mean, for Portland, it's not like they've been a magical on defense. They're 326th, but at the very least, they're able to show you a little bit of a heartbeat. And for San Diego, they've been a little bit limited with the injury to Jaden Delaire that has caused them to be a little bit rough on the glass. You take a look at this Portland team, and you've got Moses Wood, who's got good versatility. He, uh, right around six foot eight ish, is able to give you 15.5 points, six half boards. She's 40% for three. Portland as a whole, they shoot 37% from the outside. Tyro Robertson is a six foot eight point forward that gives out 5.2 assists, five and a half boards. 15 points per game. Mike Meadows has come back from injury for right around 11 half points. He shoots 38% from three-point range. The San Diego team, boy, are they giving up the points right now. They gave up at least 79 points in all but one game last month. And last time these two teams played, Portland actually played some defense. They won that game on the road 80-61. to In that game, San Diego shot just 7-23 from three-point range, but it's not like it was played out of sorts. That was a sub-70 possession game. I do think that Portland is going to be looking to slow this thing down just a little bit. This being at Orleans Arena, it's going to cause for the jump shooting to diminish a little bit. San Diego's hole, they shoot 35.7% from three-point range. Eric Williams Jr., Siku Sishu Jawara bullshit approximately 37.3% from three. Jawara 10.5 points per game. Williams Jr., good versatility, 14.5 points, 9.5 boards per game. And then Jace Townsend, Marcellus Erlington have been able to lead the way with 33 points, four assists between the two of them. But San Diego sort of tries to facilitate by committee. That's not going to work against this Portland team. I do think that with this being at Orleans Arena, we do need to shade down the numbers just a little bit for the West Coast Conference Tournament. A semi-total at a 156.5 as a result diving under. But I do think that the size and versatility of Portland just too much for San Diego in this spot. Except Portland is a 4 point favorite one to lay the four to go along the under this is the last game on the normal Las Vegas betting board before we get the extra games 803-804 Pacific at Pepperdine play at Orleans Arena with Pepperdine being a one and a half to a two point favorite in your total it is 160 and I set my total at a 158 you've got a pair of teams that do rank in the top 50 in terms of total possessions per game. A pair of teams that are in the bottom 100 in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis. But the reason why I did set Pepperdine as a two-point favorite, I'm going to be willing to lay the one and a half. They're just going to be able to do a better job on the glass. Javon Porter, 12 points, 7.3 rebounds. Brother Michael Porter has been able to shoot 35% from three-point range. Mike Mitchell Jr. shoots 44% for the outside, 11.5 points, 4.9 assists, steals per game is at right around 1.1. And then you've got Maxwell Lewis, who's able to give you 17 points, 5.5 boards, mid-30 three-point shooter. Pepperdine does turn the ball for 14 times per game, but once again with Pacific, they don't have a single guy in the roster that gives you at least four rebounds per game. It's really hard to side with a team that doesn't rebound in an environment that is going to be not so friendly to shooting as they're used to. Pacific does shoot 39.3% for three. Luke Andovich shoots 51% from the outside, 10 points per game. And then you've been able to get 41.5% three shooting 13.5 points per game out of Keelan Boone, but Boone is the only guy in the roster that gives you north of 10.5 points per game. That does mean that you've got a lot of guys like a Judson, Martindale, a Ty Beard. They're able to give you some nice balanced scoring and been able to get good facilitation, 3.5 assists per game out of Mo Odom, but I do think that Pacific, with their whole objective being just taking a bunch of threes, having absolutely nothing down low, that is going to be very costly in this sort of an environment. I do think that those brick shots is going to cost you an over in this spot as well. It is a Pepperdine team that may have been able to get to at least 80 points in four of their last five games. It is a Pacific team, though, that may have been all below 70 in two of their last four as well. So they've been showing some cracks in the armor. I did set my number at a 158 with the total diving under. And with Pepperdine, made them the two-point favorite. Going to be willing to lay the small number. Now we hit the extra games. The normal betting board. 
four picks are complete, but there are some extra gains today, so we go into the bonus. It starts with 306-575. 306-576. Morgan State is going to be playing with Compensate. Compensate is a six a six half point underdog with your total at 152 and a half. And with Compensate, I did set them as a underdog of six half points. I'm going to be willing to lay the six with Morgan State. Morgan State has had a look to life without Malik Miller because he was a team top rebounder with 9.2 rebounds. He was doing it all for the team, but it feels like Morgan State has been able to figure it out as this is Morgan State team now that has been able to win three straight games. They were able to win a little bit of a low-scoring slobber docker against Maryland Eastern Shore, and the guy that is starting to step up for the team down low, Ty Horner. He had six rebounds in that game. He could be a little bit of an upside guy for the team moving forward, and you've also been able to notice Will Thomas coming to the forefront. Overall for the season, nine points, four boards per contest, but he's been able to supply the team with at least five rebounds, and now each out of the last eight games, he's had 14 plus points in three out of the last four. Big reason why Morgan State is starting to ascend, and then you've got Isaiah Burke, who's missed her do it all. 18.5 points, 2.8 assists per contest, shooting 43.5% from three-point range out. Both of these teams have strayed true to their roots, even with the injuries of Morgan State. Both of these teams in the top 20 in terms of total possessions frame. Morgan State is just flat out playing more defense. Cobbett State, a bottom 40 team in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. Meanwhile, Morgan State is 129th of the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, and they give up 4.8 points fewer per one hour possessions when they leave home. They're a top 40 team in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis away from home. Sam Sessions, 21.5 points, 5 assists, shoots 35.5% per three, and then to Tark, 12.5 points, right around 1.8 steals per game out of him, but Cobbett State, 14.8 turnovers per game. Other than Turk and Sessions, you really don't get much else. Justin Sears has been able to get 8.5 points, 4.5 boards, but this team is not going to be able to take advantage of the fact that Morgan State is a little bit of a liability down low, and for Cobbett State, Offense has been all over the place. Scoring 70 points of fear for their last five games. I do think that Morgan State going to be able to do a good job of keeping things in sorts. I did set my total at a 152. So here at 152 and a half, I'm going to be willing to dive under with Morgan State. Set them as a six half point favorite. So I'm going to be willing to lay the six to go along with the under. 306-577-3 Maryland Eastern Shore. It's a road face off against Delaware State. Delaware State is a underdog of four to four and a half points. And your total is between 135 and 135 and a half. Did set my total at 136. Half, I'm going to be looking to the over. It is a Delaware State team that has certainly been playing relatively slowly, and Maryland Eastern Shore has done a nice job of being able to generate steals. I think that they're going to be able to turn defense into offense as Maryland Eastern Shore, a top 95 team in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, as they've got other top six scores, five of them giving you at least a steal per game. Now, Maryland Eastern Shore doesn't necessarily do a great job on the glass. They've got one guy that gives you north of three rebounds per game, and I'm not even kidding when I say that. Nate Pollard, 10 points, eight rebounds per game, but you do have a trio of guys, Dom Phillips, Zion Siles, along Kevon Voles, who have been able to combine for about 37% three-point shooting between this trio. You've been able to get in that neighborhood about 34 points per game, so love what they've been able to show. You've been able to have Abdul Fofana come in from Canisius, give you two and a half assists, one and a half seals per game, just all sorts of versatility there. And then for Delaware State, they've been really relying upon two guys in Brandon Stone, along with Martez Robertson, who's been able to combine for about 23 points, a little bit over 10 boards per contest. These are the only two guys on the roster that give you north of five rebounds per game. You've got Robinson shooting 37.5% per three, and all of a sudden, you've gotten 44% three-point shooting out of Okoy Parker. He's been able to help out this Delaware State team that does rank outside of the top 250 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and for Delaware State, they've given up north of 80 points in three out of their last five games. Offense has been ascending a little bit more. They've been able to get to at least 69 points in each of their last three games. For Maryland Eastern Shore, they've scored 
scored at least 69 in three of their last five, and I do think that they're going to be able to take it to a Delaware State team that really does not have a lot down low to be able to exploit their Achilles heel the last time these two teams played. It was Maryland Eastern Shore who was able to get the job done by kind of 68 to 66 in that game. You notice both of these teams just having a really rough time taking care of the ball. It involved a combined 30 turnovers. Melanie Eastern Shore won that game while getting out-rebounded by 14. I think that they do a little bit of a job on that front. I do think that they're going to be able to control things with regards to generating turnovers and turning that defense into offense. Set by line at 6.5, one away with Maryland Eastern Shore, and set by total 136.5, going over 306.579, South Carolina State is going to be playing us NC Central. NC Central is a favorite of 7.5 to 8 points, with your total between 148.5 149. I said NC Central as a favorite of nine points. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. NC Central has not been quite the same team away from home as they have been at home with their defense as NC Central is in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis 61st in the country, but they are allowing right around 14.8 points more per one hour possessions when they leave home. Fortunately for them, they're going up against a South Carolina State team that ranks in the top 15 in terms of total possessions per game without having a single guy that gives you north of 12 points per game. Lucian Holmes, Raekwon Gary, maybe they will combine for 22.4 points per contest. Holmes shoots 39.5% from three, but South Carolina State turns the ball over 15.3 times per game, and with having Eric Boone on the flip side for NC Central, a guy that is able to give you 2.2 seals, 5.5 assists, 7 points per game, that is going to be able to help them out. NC Central as a whole, they do turn the ball over about 15 times per contest. Mid-tempo team that shoots 35.5% from three-point range, and you've got down low the more dominant players. Chris Monroe, Brendan Medley-Bacon, most delicious player in all of college basketball. They combine for 11.2 rebounds per game. The Medley of Bacon has been able to do an amazing job of being able to help out with regards to scoring as well. He's gotten at least 10 points in every one of the team's D1 games this calendar year. He's been able to do an amazing job with his blocks as well. He combined 12 blocks in the last three games. There's just going to be no response for South Carolina State, who's got one guy that gives you north of five rebounds per game, and Davion Everett, who's been able to give you 5.8 rebounds per game. NC Central has done a great job with their defense as in regulation because their game against Norfolk State that went to overtime, that was a bad beat for some. They have given up now 70 points or fewer in each out of their last six, and they've given up 71 points or fewer in now 11 out of their last 12. Last time these two teams played, NC Central got the job done 71 to 67 in that game. NC Central, they actually lost a turnover battle 21 to 18. I think that they're going to be able to clean that up, win that this game by a more comfortable margin. I do think the thing's going to be cranked up tempo a little bit more, but I think that we went too far with the way that NC Central plays defense. So my total 145 diving under, and with NC Central willing to lay up to 8.5 with them, 3 of 6, 5, 81, 3 of 6, 5, 82, Alabama AM. It's a road face off against Grambling. Grambling is a 9.5 to a 10 point favor with your total 132. Grambling is a top 20 team in terms of points slot on a per possession basis. I think that we maybe went a little bit too far with regards to Grambling. I set them as a 9.5 point favorite, so I'm going to be one to take 10 with Alabama AM. And the biggest reason why I'm going to be one to take Alabama AM at 10 or more is because they do have down low. Alisa Blaze Okanobi, a true seven-footer that seems to do a nice job of being able to man things down low. Seven and a half points, five and a half rebounds per game, and that's big because they're going to be going up against Qatar Ari Gordon, who's been able to do an amazing job down low for Grambling. Twelve and a half points, seven boards per contest. Grambling has been able to do a nice job of being able to generate steals as well. Seven and a half steals per game. You've got a pair of guys in Cam Christian along Cinderius Coward who bring things together. They combine 2.7 steals, 24 points per game. They both combine to shoot about 34% from three, but Grambling 
Grambling also turns the ball over themselves 15 times per game. They shoot about 64% of the free throw line. Alabama A&M is shooting 37.5% from the outside. Garrett Eggs, along with Messiah Thompson, they will combine for 24 points. Both shoot above 40% from three-point range. Dallin Smith chips in their 10.5 points per game. And this trail, as they will give you a combined nearly five steals per game, I do think that this is going to be a sloppy defense-oriented game, even though Alabama A&M is a top 85 team. In terms of total possessions per game, Alabama A&M, not quite what Grambling is on the defensive side of things. They're 138th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but I do think that they hold up in a defense-oriented game. So by 12, 131 and a half, diving under, I'm willing to take 10 with Alabama A&M, 306-583, 306-584, Mississippi Valley State. It's going to be playing us Alcorn State. Alcorn State is a 5.5-point favorite with your total between 139.5 and 140. And for Alcorn State, I did set them as a favorite of 5.5 points. I'm going to be waiting on a little bit of line movement here. I was seeing a 6 a little bit earlier in the day. was seeing a 5 as well. So if we get down to 5, one delay with Alcorn State. If we get back to a 6, that would be my buy point on Mississippi Valley State. Mississippi Valley State has seen reinforcements come in, and it's been very good for Scary Terry Collins, who's been Mr. Do It all the last two years for the same 15 points. Four and a half boards, 1.6 yields per game, but now all of a sudden, you've got Raekwon Brown, who's able to give you 13 points per game. Tyron Mosley has been able to chip in there 11 points per game. Mosley shooting 50% from three-point range, and he attempts 2.83s per game. Meanwhile, Brown, 6.8 rebounds, 1.3 steals per game. Fast that, you don't get anything out of this Mississippi Valley State team. They've been rough on the glass, but they're now shooting about 35% from three-point range. It is a Mississippi Valley State team that, even with those additions, they leave a ton to be desired with regards to their defense. They're in a 11th of the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Meanwhile, they go up against an Elkhorn State team that is rather controlled. Elkhorn State, 165th in the country in terms of total possessions per game in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Elkhorn State, right around 199th, but they do a good job of being able to gel by committee as Elkhorn State has four separate guys that give you at least 7.6 points per game. Nobody above 12.8, and that'd be Dominic Bruton that does that. Bruton has been able to give you a seal per contest. You've got Brian Joshua, who's been able to give you 4.2 assists, 1.6 steals per game. Does a good job as a little bit of a trigger man. Now, not a lot of three-point shooting from this team. Otis Walker was really your top three-point shooter, but he's been missing for quite a while. Should be good to go in this one, it looks like. He's been sort of in and out of the full recently, shooting 35.5% from three-point range. Your other main three-point shooter is the Kedron Thorne, who's been able to give you about 8.5 points, three boards, shoots in the mid-30s from three-point range. For an all-court state team that only shoots about 29% from the outside, they have fewer self-inflicted wounds, so about 12.5 turnovers per game. They do a nice job of being able to generate some swipes, and last time these two teams played, Alcorn State won by kind of 81 to 70, despite Mississippi Valley State shooting in that game 10 of 21 from three-point range because Alcorn State won the turnover battle. They won the rebound battle. I do think that Alcorn State does a little things well to be able to get it done once again in the spot. Semi-line at five and a half. Six or more going to be taking the points with Mississippi Valley State. Five or less. One to lay with Alcorn State. And did semi-total at a 139 and a half here at 140. Going to be diving under Mississippi Valley State is outside the top 200 in terms of total possessions per game. 306 5 Howard plays us in Norfolk State. Norfolk State is a pickup duel one-point underdog with your total between 148 and a half and 149. And with Howard, I did set them as a two-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take them in this rather tight line. It is a Howard team that ever since conference plays began, they've been a top 30 team in terms of total possessions per game after being a mid-tempo team out of conference. They do need to have, though, Elijah Hawkins clean up the turnovers. Four turnovers per game leads off college basketball, but he gives you a 13.5 points, six assists, shooting 50% from three on volume. Overall, Howard shoots 37.5% from three. The 16.5 turnovers per game offsets a lot of that, but for no folks, 
You've only got one guy that gives you north of 4.3 rebounds per game at Chris Bankson, who's been able to give you 14.2 points, 7 boards, actually let off college basketball and field goal shooting percentage at Little Rock during the 2018-19 season, and he's a part of a Norfolk State team that may shoot about 34.5% for three, but Norfolk State is perhaps the slowest team in terms of possessions per game in the conference, and yet they turn the ball over 13 and a half times per game. Norfolk State has really been able to upgrade their defense, but still 213th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. You've got a Howard team that has been a little bit over the place with their defense as well. They're clocking in at 192nd, but for Howard, this team has been much more supreme with their defense at home, as they're giving up 12.7 points fewer per one-hour possessions at home rather than in a roadside shoot record environment. You've got Joe Bryan Jr. along with Kaheem Brown, who've been able combined for about 29.5 points per game with Brian shooting 37.5% from three-point range, but dealing with the injury to Christian Ings, one of your top three-point shooters, that has been tough for Norfolk State as a result. Their offense has been throttling down just a little bit. It is a Norfolk State team that scored 72 points of fear in regulation and three other last four games. Meanwhile, you got a Howard team that has been a rocket ship with their offense. They have scored at least 76 points and really all but one out of their last seven games, so an interesting ordeal. I do think that Norfolk State trying to turn over a little bit of a new leaf with their defense as they have surrendered fewer than 70 points in regulation in four out of their last five games. So I did semi-total 146 diving under. And with Howard, I'm willing to lay the deuce because they are much better with their defense at home. 3 of 6, 5, 87. 3 of 6, 5, 88. Arkansas Pine Bluff plays us to Jackson State. Jackson State is a 1 to 1 and a half point underdog with your total between 142 and 142.5 over Jackson State. I did set them as an underdog of three points. I'm going to be willing to take it with Pine Bluff. Pine Bluff does have a very good big three. Sean Doss being the main guy in that as he's been able to give the team right around 18 points right around two assists per game, but your big three for Arkansas Pine Bluff, that includes Chris Green along with Kyron Milton. They've been able to combine for about four seals per game. Milton and Green have been able to combine for 24.5 points, four rebounds per game apiece out of them. You've been able to get 37% three-point shooting out of Green, and then Ismail Platt has been able to chip in their five and a half rebounds per game. Going up against the Jackson State team that has had Zeke Cook do a little bit more down low. He's giving you five and a half rebounds per game, but has been very hit or miss with regards to his contributions. And for Jackson State, they were able to knock off SMU on the road. They played within 10 against Mississippi State and Michigan, but this team really doesn't jump off the page in anything. They're outside the top 250 in terms of both points scored, points a lot on a per-possession basis. They turn the ball over 15 and a half times per game. They shoot 31% from three, 67.2% of the free throw line. You've got Colty Young, Trace Young, Ken Evans Jr. They combined for about 31 and a half points per game. Trace Young is the only guy other than Cook that it really gives you an north of 5.2 rebounds per game with 5.5. It's just a really destroying a team that just doesn't make a lot of sense in general. For Jackson State, defense has been better, giving up 70 points of fear and four of their last five games. I do recognize the fact that Pine Bluff has been riding a seven-game losing streak, but if you take a look at this Arkansas Pine Bluff losing streak, they have lost uh, their last six games, five of them by four points or fewer. They've been right there. They've been able to get to at least 70 points in four of their last five games. I do think that Pine Bluff is going to be able to get a little bit of offense generated. I do think that this is a tad lofty with the way that Jackson State has not executed on offense. So semi-total at a one third nine dive and under, but I think Pine Bluff gets off the schneid, set them as a three-point favorite, one to lay with Pine Bluff, and take a look at the under, 306.589, 306.590. Southern is going to be playing us to Alabama State, and Alabama State is a nine and a half point underdog with their total between 139.5 and 140.5, and with Southern, I did set them as a ten and a half point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. It's a Southern team that certainly has been a little bit out of sorts recently as well, but they were able to stamp their three-game losing streak over the weekend, barely pulling out a game against 
A&M. Southern is a top 50 team in terms of total possessions per game, but they have been a squad that has been really held down with their offense recently as they have scored 68 points or fewer in each of their last four games. They go up against an Alabama State team that has scored 70 or fewer in each of their last four as well, so both of these offenses have very much been struggling. I did set my total at 138.5 as a result, so I'm going to be taking a look at the under. You take a look at Isaiah Range for Alabama State. He's been able to do a nice job giving you 14 points. He's about 42.5% for three, but Alabama State shoots just 37.6% from the floor. That's a bottom 10 mark in all of college basketball. Southern has done a great job with their turnovers. 8.3 seals per game. Each of your top three scores combined for about four seals per contest with P.J. Bird being perhaps the best point guard in this conference. 5.5 assists to uh, right around 2.5 turnovers per game. He shoots 38% from three-point range. Southern doesn't have a single guy that gives you north of 4.3 rebounds per game. Alabama State, they've been able to get right around seven boards and 7.5 points per game out of Jordan O'Neal. I do like what Avery Anderson brings to the table as well. 10.5 points, 4.5 boards, but it's an Alabama State team that only shoots about 30.5% from three-point range. Alabama State only turned the ball over right around 12.5 times for contest, but I do think that they're going to have issues with Southern this time around. First time they played Southern shot. 3 of 27 from 3 as Alabama State won that game 73-66 to 66 in that game. Southern actually won the rebound battle. I do think that Southern is going to be able to rectify those three-point shooting woes. I think that Alabama State is going to be the team that has a tough time putting the ball in the basket. I think that this game is going to be relatively similar scoring to the first time around. So, going to be taking a look at the under semi-total at 138.5 and I do think that Southern is going to be able to flip the switch, be able to get quite a few turnovers in this game. Set Southern as a 10.5 point favorite. So, one delay the number and take a look at the under. 306.591, Going to South State, we give our O-Delay and Kiffin. Go Owls. They play us to Lipscomb. Lipscomb is a 4-4.5 to four and a half point underdog, and your total is between 145.5 and a half and 146 with Kennesaw State. I set them as a 6-point favorite. I'm going to be one to lay the 4. This is going to be on the campus of Kennesaw State, and with Kennesaw State, they've been one of your best cover teams in all of college basketball this season, going 18-10 and 1 against the spread, and for Lipscomb, I think that the decrease in scoring of Hassan Asadula is really going to cost them. Asadula had 14-plus points each of the previous three seasons, only 7 points per game this season. He's versatile at 6 foot 10 gives you 6 boards, 3.2 assists per game, so got to love the way that he's embraced his less scoring role, but it's a Lipscomb team that overall, they shoot about 36% from 3 point range, even with Jacob Onyesovic, your top scorer with 17.5 points per game, shooting just 30% from 3 point range, will prove it, along with Derek Boyd, have been able to combine for about 20.5 points, both shoot above 40% from 3 point range, it's a Lipscomb team that's relatively average with regards to their defensive efficiency in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, Lipscomb is 174th, but Kennesaw State, they have been able to do a nice job of reining things in as a committee. They give up right around 7 points per year per one hour possessions at home and by committee down low. You've had Desmond Robinson along with Brandon Stroud be able to combine for about 12 rebounds, 21 points per game. Chris Youngblood, she's 42% from the outside, 15 points per game. Lipscomb has a little bit of a tough time guarding the three-point shot and also taking care of the ball. 8.2 steals per game for Kennesaw State. They shoot as collective 36.5% from three-point range. I were burden, 13 points, four assists. And then you've got even guys like Spencer Rogers, Kassan Jennings, that don't necessarily give you massive contributions, doing a nice job. And the last time these two teams played on Kennesaw State's home campus, Kennesaw State won that game 85-72, to even with Lipscomb going 6-13 from three-point range because they won the turnover battle. And Kennesaw State was able to win the rebound battle by three. I think that things are going to duplicate itself. I don't think it's going to be quite as demonstrative, but I did set my total at a 144. I do think that Kennesaw State going to do a solid job with their offense, but these are a pair of mid-tempo teams. I think that things are going to be bogged down just a little bit given the circumstances. So I'm going to be taking a look at the under with Kennesaw 
8, one to lay up to 5.5 with them. Made them a 6.38 favorite. 306, 5.93, 306, 5.94. Liberty is going to be playing against the Eastern Kentucky. Eastern Kentucky, a 13 to 13 half point underdog with your total between 141 and 141 half. I said Eastern Kentucky is 11 half point underdog. Going to be one to take the points. Eastern Kentucky already knocked off Liberty outright once before this year. And last time these two teams played, Eastern Kentucky was holding in there. That was an 83 to 73 game. First time around, neither team got to 65. So you've seen two completely different games out of this. But I do think that Eastern Kentucky is going to be pests in this game because you've got Devontae Blanton, Michael Moreno. Pair of guys are right around 6 for 6 combined for 13 rebounds, 28 points per game, and they combined to shoot about 37.5% from three-point range. This is an all-or-nothing steal team. Eastern Kentucky, 8.3 steals per contest. They do go up against a... Liberty team that has been very good with their defense. Matter of fact, Liberty, 24th in the country. Turns points allowed on a per-possession basis. They allow north of 15 points fewer per one possessions at home rather than in a roadside shoot record environment while Eastern Kentucky, they're clocking in right around 132nd with regards to their defense. But I do think that Isaiah Cozart giving you right around 7 rebounds per game. It's going to help this team hold in there. Darius McGee is going to be the best scorer out there for Liberty. 22.5 points. She's 41.5% from 3 power range. Brody Pebbles also shoots 41.5% from distance 8.3 points per game. But Liberty... Also a bottom 15 team in terms of total possessions per game. Eastern Kentucky, they're looking to run it. They're looking to gut it. They're a top 70 team in terms of total possessions per game. Kyle Road, good versatility for Liberty. 10.5 points, 3.5 boards, 3.5 assists. As a six foot seven, a little bit of a point forward, Liberty only turns the ball over 10.5 times per game. But we have noticed against Eastern Kentucky, they've had a tough time getting their offense flowing. They certainly do turn the ball over a little bit more when they do go up against Eastern Kentucky. So I think that this is a good matchup for the Colonials. I did set my number at 11.5. I'm going to be willing to take 13 plus with Eastern Kentucky. I think that this is going to be a mid-tempo game. So my total at 141. Here at 141.5 I think we see a little bit more of what we saw the second time around with high scoring games. So looking at the overall 141 and we'll take the points with Eastern Kentucky. 306 595, 306, 596. Colgate plays also Loyal Maryland. Loyal Maryland is a 15.5 to a 16-point dog. Your total is between 143.5 and 144.5. Made Colgate a 15-point favorite. Going to be willing to take the 16 with Loyola Maryland. Now, the two times that these two teams played during the regular season, it was a relative dump trucking both times by Colgate. And Colgate is by far the best team in the conference. And they're a top-10 team nationally in three-point shooting percentage at 40.6%. Headlined by Tucker Richardson. Give you 14 points, five assists, two steals per game. But for Colgate, they are going up against a Loyola Maryland team that feels like they've turned over a little bit of a new leaf. They're coming in on a three-game win streak. They have scored at least 73 points in four out of their last five games. And for Loyola Maryland, you've got a big three in the backcourt in Jalen Andrews, along Deion Perry, Cam Jones. These three guys have been able to combine for about 34.5 points per contest. You've got Perry and Jones combining shoot 41% per three with five and a half assists per game down low. Golden DK along with Alonzo Foray have been able to combine for 10.9 rebounds per game. So I do like what they're providing. And it's a Colgate team that they're not necessarily stout down low. Keegan Records has been able to give you six rebounds per game. Jake Woodward has been able to give you right around five boards as well. Oliver Lynch Daniels, you got to love the fact that he shoots 50% from three with his 12 points per game. Braden Smith, four and a half assists, shoots 37.5% from the outside. But Leo Maryland, a team that ranks in the the bottom runner in terms of total possessions per game. They've been relatively solid in being able to slow down Colgate all season long. You take a look at the last time these two teams played. Colgate won that game on their home floor 76-63. to 63. It was a game that Colgate shot 50% from three and yet they still wouldn't have covered this number. I do think that Loyal Maryland is going to be able to hold in there. I do think the things are going to be a little bit more up-tempo and I do like the way that Loyal Maryland has been able to ascend their offense. Did semi-total 145 going 
over. Good line set Colgate as a 15-point favorite. Going to be one. Take the points here at 6597-6598. Navy's going to be playing also American. American is an underdog of 8.5 to 9 points with your total between 126 and 126.5. Set Navy as a 6.5-point favorite. I'm going to be one. Take the points with American. They did go into that game against Bucknell, riding a six-game losing streak, but American, very slow control team. Bottom 25 in terms of total possessions per game. The big thing for them, taking care of the ball. 14.1 turnovers per game in terms of turnovers on a per-possession basis. One of the worst teams in all of college basketball, but Mark Rogers, Johnny O'Neill, both of these guys have north of 6.6 size. They combine for 12.6 rebounds, 24.8 points per game, and they both combine to shoot over 40% per three. Elijah Stevens has been able to do a nice job giving out four assists, 9.5 points per game. Colin Smalls comes up big, shooting 38.5% from three-point range, and it's an American team that has been able to do their best defense on the road. This is going to be a true road game for them in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. American to our fifth in all of college basketball, but giving up 4.2 points fewer per 100 possessions away from home. You've got a Navy team that overall, they shoot 37.5% from three. They're a bottom 100 team in terms of total possessions per game as well. Well, generating about 6.7 seals per game. Not great, not terrible, and got a big three in Tyler Nelson, Daniel Deaver, along with Sean Yoder. These three guys have been able to combine for about 36 half points per game. They all shoot north of 37% from three-point range, and got a 45% three-point shooter in Christian Jones, who's been able to give you about 7.8 points per game. Hasn't necessarily given you a ton recently, though. Six points or fewer in four of the last five games. All three of the guys in Yoder, Nelson, and Deaver have been able to do a nice job rebounding by committee with 19 rebounds per game, but it's a very top-heavy team. American is able to give you a few different looks, and American has been able to do a nice job of holding up with their defense. The offense has been relatively rough, scoring 64 points or fewer in four of their last five games, and you got to give Navy a lot of credit. They were really struggling with their defense towards the beginning part of the season. The last time they gave up north of 68 points is when American went on the road and beat them in late January by kind of 73 to 60. In that game, American shot 61% from the floor. I don't think that we're going to be seeing that duplicated. Both of these teams have been able to do a nice job with their defense recently. I did set my total 124.5 diving under. I think that American holds in there with a slow, grimy pace. Set my number at 6.5, so taking the points and the under with American. 306, 599, 306, 600. Lee I plays us a Lafayette. Lafayette is an underdog of anywhere between three points. We're seeing a few three and a halfs out there as well, and your total is anywhere between 129 and 129.5. So Lee I is a three point favorite. So at three and a half, that is my buy point on Lafayette. Lafayette, another team that ranks in the bottom 50 in terms of total possessions per game. And Lehigh has a big three that they really rely upon. The main guy, Evan Taylor, 14.2 points, six half boards. She's 42.5% from three-point range. Tyler whitney Sydney is able to give you 1.3 seals, 13.5 points per game. Struggling with this three-point shooting, but still a rock-solid player. And Keith Higgins, he's been able to shoot 41.5% from the outside. He's been able to supply about 15 points per game, but at home, his three-point shooting percentage actually falls closer to 38%. Pat said, you don't have anyone else for Lehigh that gives you north of 3.7 rebounds per game. You've only got one other guy in Don Perlin that gives you north of 4.5 points per game. Meanwhile, for Lafayette, they've had C.J. Fulton and Leo O'Boyle really rule as Fulton, 5 assists, 2 seals, shoots 38.5% per 3 with 10.5 points per contest. O'Boyle, a little bit more of a designated scorer, shooting 40% per 3, 11.3 points, about a steal per contest out of him. And the team has been able to do a good job of rebounding by committee. K.J. Jenkins, Lon Josh Rivera have come on strong for a combined 11 rebounds per game. Justin Vanderbond provides some foot size. He gives you a block, doesn't really rebound, but it's a Lafayette team that, if you do have a trepidation with this team, they shoot just 
at the free throw line. They only turned the ball over about 11 half times for contest. This is a Lehigh team that may be able to do a little bit of a better job with ball protection as well. And both of these teams have been hot and cold with their defense all season long. Lafayette 134th in the country in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis. Lehigh 160th. I do think that Lafayette could be able to get their style. I do think that they're going to be able to hold in in what is going to be a slow, grimy game. It is a Lafayette team that has been held to 70 points or fewer in all but three of their games thus far this season. Meanwhile, you've got a Lehigh team that has been solid with their defense recently, giving up 62 points or fewer in each of their last three games, but they themselves have scored 64 points or fewer in three of their last four games. So I'm going to be one, take three and a half or more with Lafayette. Did semi total 127 half diving under. We wrap things up with 306601306602. Army is going to be playing us Boston U. Boston U at three and a half to a four point underdog with your total between 138 and a half and 139. And with Army, I set them as a four and a half point favorite. Going to be one to lay the four. It's a Boston U team that just relies a little bit too much on Walter White, and he is breaking bad. He's been able to give the team 14.7 points in that neighborhood, about 5.9 rebounds per game, shooting about 32% for three. Ethan Britton Watts provides 38.5% three point shooting, but you need a little bit more down low. Nevin Singh, Fletcher Tynan have been able to combine for 9.2 rebounds per game. That's just not going to cut it. Meanwhile, for Army, you've been able to have Charlie Peterson, great name, do a good job down low, giving the team 5.2 boards, 8.5 points per game, and among their top five scorers, four of them for Army give you north of four rebounds per game, including Josh Rucker, most versatile player out there on the floor, three and a half assists, 16 points per game. Doesn't shoot a ball for three, but that's why you've got 42.2% three-point shooting. Ethan Roberts giving you 12 points per contest. You've also been able to get 11 points out of Coltel Benson, who's been able to shoot 37% from three-point range. Army has been a team that has been a little bit hot and cold with their defense all season long, but Boston U has had incredible inconsistency as well. Army about 211th of the country. There's points on on a per-possession basis. Boston U more around 143rd. Boston U comes in good form with their defense. That'll be one point for fear surrendered in far their last five games. Meanwhile, you've got an Army team that has been able to do a relatively solid job with their offense. 67 plus points in three out of their last four games. Last time these two teams played, Boston U actually went on the road. They got the job done 73-67 to in a game where Army shot 5-20 of from three. Boston U 7-17. Army also lost that turnover battle by kind of 10-8, to but they won the rebound battle. I think that Army once again plows on the glass. I think that they're going to be a little bit better from three-point range. Did semi-total at a 138.5 here at 139. Going to be diving under both of these teams outside the top 200 in terms of total possessions per game, especially Boston U. And I'm going to be one to lay with Army, and that will wrap things up. For the Thursday edition of Coast to Coast Seeps, part of the Beeson Family Podcast, a big thanks to Curtis Rogers. Over at 710 Seattle Sports for joining me in the last segment. If you do like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast Seeps, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you have a question, comment, segment idea, want to have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at TuneIn underscore D1. Keep in mind, letters EM. Maybe it does not matter. As per usual, please do send these into the timeline and the other ways find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire in whatever you'd like here on this podcast via that Pfizer review. Coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season, which means I will be coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? 
Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.